At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, Mormon from the low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We've got an excellent podcast for you as we're going to be joined in segment number two by one of our good friends, Greg Woodell. He does great work over at Sleepers Media, does some tremendous work over at Field of 68 Action Network, and so much more. And he's going to be joining us to take a little bit of a look at the lay of the land in the Big Ten, the team outside of Purdue that might be able to make a little bit of noise on the national landscape, and a team that will be in action on Friday. We're going to be taking a look at the overall outlook of the conference. We're going to be diving into a few games that we've got for Friday as well, and a few teams that he's a bit bullish and a bit bearish on as well. So we're going to have a great chat with Greg in segment number two in the final segment. Going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters M. They mean does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. And I'll probably be taking just a ton of time to answer any questions that you guys have over the weekend because we're going to have a very... Big shortage of college basketball action when it comes to Christmas. And by the way, Merry Christmas. I'm going to try to give our regular guests a little bit more of a break as well. I'm going to make sure that I'm not recording any guest interviews on Christmas Eve slash Christmas Day. You might hear a few pre-recorded interviews, but not going to do anything on those days because, I mean, that's time to be spent with family and things of that nature. So I'll probably just take that time air out some questions, so anything that you guys have, we're going to be getting those answered there, and because the Greg Peterson experience is from midnight to three on VSIN, the Sports Bank Network, do I have to do this recap a little bit in advance, much like yesterday, so if we do see anything pressing in the next few days in college basketball, that certainly is going to be polished up over the weekend as well, but let's take a look at some of the big things that we did get from college basketball on Thursday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these seems a little bit better. Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap. 
By the way, we will circle back to one game that we did see on Wednesday, and that would be the fact that Arizona now moves to 9-1 and against the spread. They got the win, and they got the cover against Alabama, 87-84 as Alabama. 8-40 of 40 from three-point range in that game, and that's the risk that you run if you're Alabama. They only took 25 shots from inside the arc, 40 shots from three-point range. If you hit those shots, you win this game. If you don't hit those shots, you lose that game. And for Omar Bala, was able to control things down low. 16 points, 12 rebounds, so a high-quality win there. But in terms of what we did see on Thursday, the trend of some of these big home favorites falling did continue. As you did see UIC, the University of Illinois Chicago, has been one of your better money-making teams thus far this college basketball season. They lost at home to Incarnate Word as a 15-point favorite, 67-66. to This UIC team has been rock-solid on defense but you figure there might be a little bit of three-point shooting regression as they were allowing opponents to shoot right around about 23% from three and incarnate word. A team that struggled from three went nine of 20 from distance. 23 big points out of Josiah Hammonds for Incarnate Word in this one, and for UIC. They win the turnover battle 9-8. They win the rebound battle as well, but could not overcome the fact that you saw Incarnate Word hit a whole bunch of threes. Alcorn State had played just two of their games the under going into Thursday, and they played under number three as George Washington got all that they wanted from Alcorn State, 79-75 the final. It's a George Washington team that plays very much up-tempo, and for George Washington, only reason why they win this game is that they go 15-34 of 34 from three-point range with getting 23 big points, 5-10 of 10 from three-point range out of Maximus Edwards, but for Alcorn State, they hold in there because they did a nice job forcing 16 turnovers. Alcorn State also dominated the battle on the glass, winning that by a count of 44-28 to 28 as you had a guy that I've been looking for all season long, Jalen Hawkins, to bust out. Bust out. He had 24 big points in this one as well to be able to hang snug. As I do this, we don't know how some of the results in the Diamond Egg Classic went, but we do know that Nevada was able to just lay it on Temple. 80-56 to 56 a final. This Nevada team has been one of your best against the spread teams in all of college basketball in that 8-3 against the spread for Temple. They go to sign 28 from 3 par range. And Nevada doesn't necessarily do one thing great. They just cross their T's and they dot their I's. They went 17 of 20 at the free throw line. They turned the ball over just 10 times. They don't allow second chances. Nick Davidson, 19 points, 16 rebounds. You had Jared Lucas chip in there, 22 points. Just a really good collective unit, and they did a nice job being able to cover that one. You saw Syracuse win but not cover against Niagara, 83-71. to 71. Another one of those interstate rivalries that I think you want to be cautious of for Niagara. They go 7-19 of 19 from three-point range, and you had Judah Mintz in this one for Syracuse chip in there, 18, but for Niagara, they only lose a rebound battle by one. They were able to do a nice job hanging snug there, and Luke Bumbleo, some of that I've been looking about that a little bit, he had 26 big points in this one as well. In the battle for the great state of Kentucky, it was a Wildcats who went on the road and he just completely destroyed Louisville. 95 to 76 the final. Five Scarecrows could have played the defense of Louisville did as Kentucky goes 12 of 25 from three points. Antonio Reeves had his day in the sun. 30 points, four of five from three. Trey Mitchell, 18 points, 12 boards for Kentucky. They do a nice job of being able to win the battle on the glass for Louisville. To their credit, they did have Sky Clark chip in their 20 points. Both of these teams had 13 turnovers apiece, but for Kentucky, they just kept draining threes, and for Louisville, it just continues to be dysfunctional mess for them. Dysfunctional mess would also be something to describe Coastal Carolina right now. It's Coastal Carolina, who I believe has played one true road game thus far this season, and yet it's been a disaster against the spread. They lose outright to North Carolina 
Carolina A&T by a count of 85 to 82. They were nine and a half point home favorite. It's an A&T team that is in the bottom 10 nationally in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. But Landon Glasper, 30 big points in this one to be able to pull that upset. They're not as bad against the spread though as Old Dominion, who falls at two and seven against the spread after they got crushed by TCU. 111-87. TCU has done a good job of beating up on lesser competition. I would consider Old Dominion at this point to be lesser competition. As for Old Dominion, they lose this game by as much as they did while shooting 8 of 24 from 3. They won 21 of 29 at the charity stripe, but TCU goes 9 of 23 from 3 par range. For TCU, you were able to get 25 big points out of Chuck O'Bannon off the bench. You also were able to get 10 rebounds out of Jacoby Coles as well. I've got my question marks moving forward on TCU, but that was undoubtedly a big win for them. Boston College has also been one of your better cover teams thus far this season. It was not a cover for them because they were laying about 17 to 17 and a half points against Louisville, but still a relatively solid showing out of them. As for Boston College, they get it done by a count of 85 to 69, and Claudel Harris was really able to have a big game in this one. He goes off for 25 points. Absolutely love what I've been seeing on this team with Quentin Post doing some great work in the post. As he in this one was a little bit more pedestrian, 13 points, 6 boards, but everyone else was able to pick him up. And for Lehi, they go just 5 of 24 from 3-point range. We have seen this Lehi team be able to cover some bigger numbers. They're not quite on par with a team I was describing the, before in Nevada, who's currently went 8-3 and three against the spread. They've been absolutely incredible with that regard. But Lehi, even though they were a little bit suspect from 3-point range, they were able to get within the number in this one as well. And another team has been doing a really good job of being able to get within the number. That would be Old Radford out there in the Big South. They now find themselves as a 10-2 team against the spread. I believe that that is the third best cover rate in all of college basketball. They were not in action on Thursday, but on Wednesday, they pulled off the outright win against West Virginia to circle back to that 66-65. This has been a big-time money maker for you all season long, so that has been interesting to take a look at, but when it's been the best cover team in all of college basketball has actually been Minnesota, and they got yet another cover on Thursday. They take down Ball State by a count of 80-63. to For Ball State, it looked like they had a chance to be able to cover this game late, but they scored three points in the final north of four and a half minutes as for Ball State, they actually should have halfway decent from three-point range. The problem was Minnesota was just better. Minnesota, 8 of 17 from three-point range. Ball State goes 8 of 21 from the outside and for Minnesota. Just six turnovers in this one. Elijah Hawkins has really done a nice job taking care of the ball. Nine assists, one turnover. Last year, he led all of college basketball in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, so you do like to see that. It was actually a pretty good day for the Big Ten overall. I'm doing this while it's in action but North Alabama, they were catching right around about 14 or so points. They're currently down 70-46 to 46 against Indiana with about 10 minutes remaining. That's not looking great. Ohio State, who's been having a little bit of an up-and-down year, they were able to just completely take it to New Orleans. The defense was out in full force. 78-36, to 36, a final for New Orleans. 12 made field goals, and with 12 made field goals, they had 15 turnovers. That's not going to cut it. And for Ohio State, you had Jameson Battle, Zed Key. They scored 33 points between the two of them, and New Orleans had 36 points. That's how it went for our good friends over there in New Orleans. Purdue continues to be a really good cover team as well. They're now 8-2-2 against the spread. Against Jacksonville, they were laying about 32.5 points. They won this game by 43. 157-57. Jacksonville just not the same defensive team that they were a few seasons ago, by the way. But how about 
this Purdue team being able to get it done with Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer only scoring a combined eight points. They were able to put in the backups like Miles Colvin, Mason Gillis and company for a lot of time in this one. Zach Eady, 18 points, eight rebounds in 24 minutes. They really didn't need their starters too much in this one. They just completely blew past Jacksonville, Michigan State. They completely blew past Stony Brook, 99 to 55. It's a Michigan State team that's all of a sudden back to 500 against the spread, six and six against the spread while being just seven and five straight up. Stony Brook, they went. 6 of 31 from three-point range. I think at some point they got down 50 points in this one, so that was just a complete and utter dismantling, and a Michigan State team has been off to a rather rough start to the season. That was a big result for them. It looks like Houston is going to be able to cover the big number against Texas State as well. I keep saying it. Houston, when they're laying these big numbers of north of 25, they're so good. I'm doing this with about three minutes remaining. Houston is currently up 68-35 to 35. As, as I record this. Texas State has 12 made field goals at 25 turnovers. I mean, that is just the power of this Houston Cougars team. And then you've got Jamal Shedd. He doesn't necessarily give you a lot of scoring. As I do this, he had about 11 points, but he gives you a few steals. He gives you a few rebounds, few assists. Absolutely love his game. Now, we do want to see Houston challenge themselves a little bit more. They've been playing a little bit of a cream puff schedule, but right now they're looking pretty good. And right now this team is looking good. We don't know how this second half is going to go, but Oregon at the half was up on Kent State by kind of 45 to 29, despite Kent State going 5 of 9 from three-point range. And the big reason why Oregon has been able to win the turnover battle by kind of 8 to 4, even with Oregon deal with the injuries to Amphali Dante, dealing with having Nate Biddle being at the fold. They have found a way to be able to win the rebound battle in the first half. K.J. Evans seems to be coming into his own. And Cario Quendo off the bench, 13 points in that first half. So very encouraging signs there. And then in terms of another interesting result that we did see from this college basketball Thursday, how about Iowa State? They were laying about 31.5 points, and they just barely get the job done against Eastern Illinois. Iowa State, when laying at least 30 points, I believe they have covered every one of those numbers. If you break it down to 25, I think that they have as well. But they're now 8-3 against the spread. They take down Eastern Illinois by kind of 80-48. to This Iowa State team, a top-10 team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But this year, they've got team on Lipsby as well. Chipping in, there's some offense. 16 points, 7 assists, 6 rebounds. Absolutely love what I'm seeing out of this team as that was just a complete and utter dismantling and a buck kicking. And then how about this one? Army as an underdog, 63 to 53 over a UTSA team has been playing super duper up tempo. They're able to get a very nice win there. So yay verily on that one. And then Colorado, they look very impressive against Utah Tech, 98 to 71 the final as for Colorado. It has been a little bit of an up and down season for them against the spread wise. Straight up, they've been a little bit more secure, but for Colorado, they were able to do a nice job going 9 of 18 from three-point range. KJ Simpson, Luke O'Brien, they were able to combine for 41 big points in this one, and for Colorado, every single one of their starters, they were able to reach double figures as well, and then you've got a team that's been a little bit rough against the spread thus far this season in Buffalo, but they were able to give a bit of a spirited effort against the Richmond Itsy Bitsy Spiders for Buffalo. They are now 4-6 and six against the spread as they lose to Richmond 72-66. to 66. It's been a rough year for Buffalo. They're 1-10 straight up, and they went just 7 of 37 from 3 power range, but they get back Isaiah Adams 19 points. That should be a big add for them moving forward, and that should be a nice mark for them just 
as they're looking to be able to persevere when it's going to be a very difficult college basketball season for them with being in quite a bit of transition. Then we did see Texas Tech win but not cover against UT Arlington 77-66. As for Texas Tech, do expect the defense to be able to tighten up just a little bit more moving forward as for Texas Tech under the tutelage of Grant McCaslin. has been a little bit over the place. This was a sloppy game with 17 turnovers apiece, but Joe Toussaint, 19 points, 6 rebounds. Line was more in that neighborhood, about 13 or so, so they were unable to cover that one. And hey, early game of the day, I laid it with Sacred Heart, and they were able to get it done 67-57. You always feel good when you're able to get the first cover of the day, and that was what was happening for us. And currently, as I record this, Georgia Tech up on UMass, 37-31 at the half. That is going to be a result. I try to get you tomorrow on the podcast, as I do have to do this a little bit in advance, but if you are looking at some of the trends that we're seeing in college basketball overall for the season, things have still been a little bit overwhelming. 940 overs to 913 unders, but you're going to find out in a second that the last seven days we have been seeing a nice surge on unders. Home underdogs overall for the season, 214, 208, and 10 against the spread, but they've been having a nice charge as well. And underdogs now hitting at about 50.4% overall for the season, 929, 916, and 28 against the spread. But if you look at the last seven days in college basketball, home underdogs starting to dry up a little bit more at 30, 29, and 3 against the spread, but over the last two weeks, they're hitting at more like 55%. And over the last seven days, Unders hitting at 52.3%, 135 unders, 123 overs. You've had a few pushes along the way, and for underdogs, hitting at 53.9% over the last seven days with a few results pending for Thursday, 139, 119, and 7 against the spread. So that's where we're seeing college basketball right now, and that's what we all got on Thursday. Now let's take a look at some of Friday's games. Let's take a look at the Big Ten and so much more with Greg Waddell of Sleepers Media. On the flip side here on Ghost Ghost Heaps with myself, Greg Eats and now a part of the BC Family Podcast. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Fuma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Sports betting innovative analytics has taken the guesswork and emotion out of sports betting to bring you an innovative and trustworthy resource to enhance your journey to becoming a winning player. With industry-leading money-back guarantee options backed by their sophisticated modeling, they want to introduce you to a system that's not widely seen or available to help you beat the bookmaker. Specializing in NBA, college basketball, and WNBA, your first week is always free. Get started at SBIA1.com today. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Cubs Cubsy with myself, Greg Ames Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And it is great to be joined by this man as Greg Waddell. He does absolutely amazing work over at the field of 68. Does an incredible job taking a look at this great game of college basketball as well over there at Action Network and Sleepers Media. He is one half of Sleepers Media with another one of our good friends, Carter Elliott. He's a man that has been to every single arena in the Big Ten. Does a tremendous job of taking a look at all these scenes that we all know and love. And you're able to follow my Twitter slash X over at GWizzy, the number 12 all together. And Greg, it's always nice to have another Greg aboard and another Greg from the Midwest. So always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Absolutely, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm in the holiday spirit, as I'm sure you and all your listeners are as well. Let's have some fun tonight. Yes, sir. Let us have some fun with it. And let's take a look at what we are currently getting in the Big Ten because it's what we expected at the top. We all thought that Purdue was going to be that number one team. And shock, shock, surprise, surprise, here they are. Despite that loss against Northwestern, I don't think that there's any debate there. Where the debate comes in with regards to Big Ten is the rest of the conference. As Michigan State, after a horrible start to the season, has been able to stabilize. But I feel like there's been a lot of surprises, both to the positive and the negative in the Big Ten. And I feel like we're back where we were last year, where Purdue is very clearly that number one team. And then everything else is sort of a jumbled up mess. Yeah, it's not looking pretty for my boys in the Big Ten, Greg, to say the least. (laughs) The bright side is that Purdue is this good. I think they've taken a step forward from last year when they were one of the best teams in the country. This year, I think they're unquestionably the best team in the country. You can make arguments for UConn. You can make arguments for Arizona. I really think that's about all that you can make arguments for. And hey, guess what? Purdue beat Arizona. Um, I think UConn's a little bit lucky they don't play Purdue right now, at least until Donovan Klingon gets healthy, because I kept making jokes. Like, it seems like every team in the top 20 has been ranked in the top five at some point this year until they played Purdue. And then they fell about five spots. They're just that good. Zach Eady's the best player in the country. And the pieces that Painter added around him have really brought this team forward. Lance Jones being one of them. The freshman off the bench, Miles Colvin and Cam Heidi, giving him multiple options of shooters that play two-way basketball. And guys like Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer took a step forward as well. And 
it seems like that kind of got forgotten about in the offseason. It shouldn't be forgotten about because Fletcher Lawyer's going for 25 in a couple of their biggest games this year, and Braden Smith looks like one of the best point guards in the country. So, yeah, I could sit here and word vomit to you about Purdue for 20 minutes if you want, or we can talk about the rest of the miserable teams in this conference that are wildly underwhelming pretty much from top to bottom outside of Illinois. I don't think any team has really looked better than we thought they might be. You could make an argument that Wisconsin might have taken a step Nebraska. Yeah, Nebraska, you're right. Nebraska's up there. They got to get ranked mass back. I feel bad that he's going to miss a month. But it's just hard because I think this entire conference spent about five years trying to learn how to keep up with the Luca Garzas and the Kofi Coburns of the world. And then they got hit with Zach Eady. And then they all realized there's no way they can keep up with a guy like that. And it seems like a lot of coaches are going through transitional periods trying to figure out what they want to do in this transfer portal era. And they're just behind some of the other major conferences. So uh, luckily, Purdue is good enough that it can cover up a lot of the weaknesses of this league. Yeah, Purdue has been a nice deodorant to the stink that has been most of the other teams in the big time. But I'm so glad that you mentioned Illinois as well, as Greg Widello does great work over at Sleepers Media, Field of 68, and so much more. Joining me on Coast to Coast Soups because Illinois really do feel like has been the best team at being able to adapt and sort of be, for lack of a better term, mobile in the Big Ten. Because what I like about Illinois, you can love or hate the coaching style Brad Underwood and the way that he screams at guys on the floor. He actually curtails his team to what he has. Like when Kofi Coburn was in the fold, they played a little bit more packed line. They played more slowly. Now this year, they're willing to let it fly a little bit more. They've been more of a defense-oriented team. Every single year, you get a little bit of something different with Illinois. And I do think that it's a big measuring stick game for them in the border war against Missouri on Friday because we were alluding to it. Outside of Purdue in the Big Ten, there's been a lot of disappointments, but Illinois has been that one team other than Purdue that has looked relatively solid. And Illinois, out of all these teams on named Purdue, I think has the best chance of being able to make some noise on the national landscape because they aren't that team that, for lack of a better term, handcuffs themselves to one style and that they are willing to adapt on the fly. Yeah, you're right. They're versatile. I think they have more depth than any team in the conference. That includes Purdue, and I think Purdue's as deep as you can get for the most part. But Illinois got really a roster full of guys that belong in a rotation on a good high major team. And Brad Underwood has his hands full trying to make sure he caters to all of them because he's got some talented freshmen that really haven't played a lot of minutes this year. And by all accounts, he's doing a good job of keeping everybody happy, which was an issue last year when that locker room really tore itself apart. I think he brought in some more mature guys in the offseason. I think Marcus Damask being one, Quincy Garrier being another. Guys who, who really have been around the block in college basketball, have played roles of various sizes on different teams, and all they really want to do before they're done in this sport is win. And they don't mind if they're the seventh guy on the team. They just want to win. They want to be a part of a great program. And it helps when you have a superstar like Terrence Shannon, who, in my opinion, is one of the five or six best players in the country. He's an unstoppable force getting downhill to his left. I think you'd be hard-pressed finding a more talented wing on any roster in this sport. Yeah, they're meshing really, really well right now. I still have concerns about the point guard spot, but with the way they're defending, it really has helped them overcome those issues quite a bit. And you're right, the Missouri game, the, the bragging rights, game. Brad Underwood's 2-4 and four in that rivalry in his career at Illinois. 
That's shocking because I think Illinois has had better rosters than Missouri about every single year that he's been there. This is one that he definitely needs to circle and they need to make a statement in. Yep, I think so as well. And I do actually like Illinois to be able to pull it out as well with them being a six-half point favorite. I think that that might be going a little bit far because this is a game that is going to be played at the Enterprise Center. That's out there in St. Louis. So that's going to be a little bit tough as well. So I think the numbers went too far, but I do think that they should be able to get a straight up win there. And Greg, when it comes to the Big Ten, we are actually going to see some interesting teams in action on Friday. We were just alluding to Illinois versus Missouri, but I think that this is a big game as well with Maryland going on the road against UCLA as about a four-point underdog. And this is a UCLA team that they're about as desperate as Maryland for a win as well. They lose at home to CSUN. For Maryland, it has been an all-over-the-place season for them as well. And I feel like these teams are sort of cut from the same cloth in that both of these teams are in power conferences. Both of these teams are just fine on defense, but both of these teams have found zero offense at all. So it's a good old case of something's got to give, in my opinion. Yeah, I was going to say, if by same cloth, you just bad. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I, I, I think these Sad teams, on offense, yes. I think these two teams have serious issues that don't look like they're going anywhere this season. And I would say that I think Maryland's are more surprising. Now, UCLA has talent, don't get me wrong, but they are a team that is built on youth. They are a team that is built on international players. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But a lot of these guys... I don't really think have their sights on playing college basketball much. I think these are guys who are viewing this as a quick stop on on route to the NBA. The problem is these guys aren't even top 10 pick guys, really, other than maybe a Daymara who has left a lot to be desired as far as production goes. It's tough. I think this is Mick Cronin's toughest roster he's built for himself to have to figure out how to win with. And, you know, they've been competitive. They were competitive in the Maui Invitational Games, but they they look just a couple steps behind where they were in November, where they are now. Maryland, on the other hand, has just looked really mediocre on the offensive end from the moment the season started. And it doesn't make a ton of sense because for the most part, this is the same team they had last year that looked much better on that end. Minus Hakeem Hart, who was certainly an important floor spacer type role, but they're getting bit because Deshaun Harris-Smith just is not as good as they hoped he would be coming in immediately as a true freshman at the shooting guard spot. Jamie Kaiser was a guy who got a lot of praise in the offseason for being an instant impact type. It hasn't come to fruition And that leaves them with Jameer Young needing to do a little more than I think he's comfortable doing. He's still a very talented player, but he's never been the most efficient guy, certainly not in his tenure at Maryland. So, you know, it's kind of the battle of two unstoppable forces of offensive mediocrity. I'll take the team that's a little more experienced on the road here if you're going to press me into a pick, which honestly you're not even doing. I'm just handing over to you. So give me the Terps, barely. I don't feel good about that at all, though, Greg. (laughs) Yeah, I think that this is a game that even though the total is set at 128, we could very easily see it under here because neither of these teams are playing with any sort of tempo. Both of these defenses have been just fine. Both of these offenses have been rough. So I think that that is going to be your nice eyesore of the night. That's Greg Waddell, who does great work over at Sleepers Media. He is joining me on Coast to Coast Hoops. And Greg, when it comes to the landscape of college basketball, we're about a month and a half through the season. And I just want to get your thoughts on a few teams. They could be from the Big Ten. They could be from other conferences that have really been standing out to the positive and the negative. Because certainly when we were looking at night number one, everyone was reacting to James Madison, that upset against Michigan State. But I think they've done more than enough to prove that that was not the world's worst loss that Michigan State took. Been thoroughly impressed by them. I've also been quite impressed by Memphis a little bit recently as well. And then in terms of disappointments, I feel like there's a few obvious ones, but like St. Mary's and company. But 
were a few that stand out to you that when you just take a look at the landscape of college basketball, you're just expecting a little bit more or a little bit less coming into the season. Yeah, I'll give you a, a strange shout for sure. I, uh, I guess I shouldn't say strange, but maybe not what people would expect from me being a high major lover. I know people <laughs> have thrown jabs at me on that. I think New Mexico has been great. I like New Mexico last season. They were the last team to lose a game in college basketball last year. It's not a shocker that they had a good non-conference run through December, but I think this year is something they can translate throughout conference play in a way they didn't last year. They really haven't even had their full arsenal until real recently. I mean, they they were without Jalen House to start the year. They've had other guys in and out in that backcourt. When they have all three of House and Dent and Jamal Mashburn Jr., you are hard-pressed to find a more talented backcourt at any level in this sport. And I love watching them. I think they're really fun to just watch from a viewership standpoint. And I think they're explosive enough to make a really, really deep run if they can get to the NCAA tournament. So I've been pleasantly surprised that they got back to the level they did from last year's non-conference again this year. And like I said, I think it could be a bit more sustainable. As far as disappointments go, it's hard because in Big Ten land, it seems like every single team could qualify for this. I think St. Mary's has to be the biggest one from a national standpoint. I really thought they were the best team in this conference coming into the season. And a lot of their issues don't make a ton of sense to me to be honest there's some teams you point to you're like oh it makes sense that Michigan State's struggling to shoot the ball because they replaced Joey Hauser with guys who can't shoot with St. Mary's it's like this is really the same core from last year's team that I thought was awesome down the stretch and you know they just look like a totally different unit they they don't look like they trust themselves I know they've started to turn things around a little bit of late but to me I know I'm going kind of mid-majory and I'm going west coast with both of these but those would be the two that jump out Yeah, those really do jump out. Michigan State, I do think that they're doing for a little bit of positivity in terms of their outside shooting. And perhaps the game against Stony Brook, where they got up 71 to 29, about 30 minutes through the game, is going to be perhaps that launching point for them. I don't think that they're as bad as the team that was shooting sub 30% from three going into the year against Baylor. And at the same time, I don't feel like they're as good as a team that was third in all of college basketball in three-point shooting last year as well. And how do you sort of gauge that? Because I think Michigan State is a prime example for us as betters as taking a look at teams where you're able to find a good buy-low spot on them. Like, I felt like going into that game against Baylor, it was a good buy-low spot on Michigan State because I knew that they just weren't as bad as they had shown. And at the same time, you've got some teams that are playing out of their mind and you're thinking, man, there should be some regression coming there. How do you sort of gauge that? Because I think that this time of year is very good for looking at some of those spots and being able to make some money off of it. Yeah, in hindsight, the Baylor one was a really good spot, especially because I think as quote-unquote undervalued as Michigan State might have been, I think Baylor was the opposite. I think they were overvalued coming into that game. And, um, you know, they started the season undefeated, I believe, through their first nine games, eight or nine games. And it looked like the best offense in the country. They're still extremely potent on that side, a very talented unit, of course. But outside of their their opening day win against Auburn, Baylor had really beaten up on some teams that just don't have a lot of firepower, are not the toughest defensively. Looking back, you, you always wish you could have seen it coming. But that was certainly a game that makes sense looking back on it, where a desperate Michigan State team in a big neutral side game in the state of Michigan was able to get everything to click against a team that felt like they were on top of the world and undefeated and hadn't missed a shot in two months. But I think specific to Michigan State, 
I think a lot of their issues, while not as bad as they may have looked in the first month, are things that will plague them throughout the season. Like, I I do think this team is low on shooting. I think this team is not the most physical Tom Izzo team we've ever seen. They really don't have a low post scorer. They really aren't comfortable with who they want to play in the post. And You know, they've got really talented freshmen. That was a big part of the projection of why they were a preseason top five team in the country. But when those freshmen are non-threats at the issues that your team already has, like Cohen Carr is great. Cohen Carr hasn't attempted a three-pointer this season. So if you're trying to get more shooting on the floor, you can't really use the talent that those freshmen provide. And Tom Izzo, I think, is already making great fixes to this roster. He's going small a little more. He's learning on the fly what he needs to do to solve some of these issues. But he's going to have his hands full, I think, throughout the conference season. Because even with that Baylor win, their resume leaves a lot to be desired. And they're really going to have to find a way to work themselves back up into the top four or five in this conference at minimum. Because this might only be a five-big conference this year, Greg. As much as it pains me to say it, I can see that happening. I can see that happening as well. And there's going to be a lot of intrigue moving forward with regards to a lot of these spots and some of these teams that maybe they've started out the year rough. They might be able to bounce back. Some of them, they just, as we're finding out, stink this year. And it's sometimes one of those cases where you don't know until you lose a few bets, but all about learning and growing from it and Greg, we do have an interesting day of college basketball on Friday. Friday's really our last big day before Christmas. I have a few games on Saturday, but certainly a diminished Saturday card this week. But is there any other games that you have starred? Maybe it's one that you're going to be betting, or maybe it's a game that you don't have a bet on at all that you're just excited to see that you're really going to be watching for on this Friday. Yeah, I think Kansas-Yale is probably the one we haven't talked about. Obviously, Missouri-Illinois, I think, is the most exciting game on the slate. But Kansas and Yale, to me, is one that I've sort of circled because I keep waiting for Kansas to have a moment where, on a national stage, they kind of have a letdown spot. And I know not everybody's going to be dialed into Kansas-Yale, but that would be a game where if the result went the wrong way, Everybody notices. They got scared. They got taken to the wire against Eastern Illinois about a month ago in Allen Fieldhouse. They ended up winning the game. They pulled away one by six or eight, I think. And that was a game that was tied with four minutes left. And it seemed like everybody shrugged it off. It was like, oh, this isn't too concerning. It's fine. Then they went to Assembly Hall over the weekend last weekend in Indiana against a team I think people wanted to believe in Indiana are better than they really are because, man, Indiana can't beat anybody at all comfortably right now. They're taking the worst teams on their schedule down to buzzer beater staff. More right state now. played them to one point. It's scary, man. It's scary. They, they are just a bad basketball team. And look, that, that team was smoking Kansas at halftime through 20 minutes. So as much as Kansas's record doesn't show it, There's a reason that their metrics have kind of been going south while the record has been going north. And I think Yale actually is a team that has enough skill to hang with them. If Kansas has a cold shooting night at home, this could be a more complicated game than people realize. So I'm going to have at least one eye on that one while I'm watching the the bragging rights game. Yeah, but I'm with you. I'm for Indiana. They have no backcourt whatsoever, especially with Xavier Johnson dealing with injuries. So I do like the look there. And Greg, I always love the look of getting you on this show because you provide such great insights. You do an amazing job 
over at Action Network, Sleepers Media, Field of 68, and so much more. So love the good people at home. Know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. I appreciate it, Greg. Follow Sleepers Media. That's where you can find most of our college basketball work. We're doing previews and recaps for every single big game this college basketball season. We partnered with the guys over at Heat Check to help bring some of their vast knowledge. It's been really, really fun for me over the last couple weeks as we get to see that growing. So Sleepers Media is the name of the YouTube channel, at Sleepers Media on all social media platforms. And it's always a pleasure, my friend. I wish you and your family a great holiday season. You as well, Greg. From one Greg to another, warmest of holidays to you as Greg Waddell. He does such a great job taking a look at this game that we all know and love. He does amazing work out there in Big Ten country, but really does a great job taking a look at the entire scope of this sport. Big thanks to Greg for joining me on because he's now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we have some big jobs. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. And we're back here in Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is always great to be joined by Greg Waddell. He does amazing work over at the Field of 68, does some tremendous work over at Action Network, taking a look at this game that we all know and love of college basketball. Every single time he joins this podcast, always lends great insight. So a big thanks to Greg for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast that I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter slash X feed at GNN underscore D1, and we are going to be going in the Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits on the rotation first, and then those games on the extra board, that would be the MEAC, the SWAC, the Atlantic 10, the Northeast Conference, the Patriot League, the Big South, the Southland. Those are going to be the games at the bottom. So let's get things started with 841-842 on the betting board. It is Chattanooga. They throw their facing off against UW-Milwaukee. And UW-Milwaukee opens up as a 1.5 point underdog. They're now a 3.5 point underdog. Your total on this game is between 151.5 and 152.5. Do agree with the move. I'm willing to lay up to 3.5 with Chattanooga. I did set them as a 4 point favorite. So would not want to be going any further than where we're at right now, but I'm willing to lay that three and a half despite the line move. Got a UW-Milwaukee team that has been dealing with an injury to their top scorer in B.J. Freeman, who really is the heart and soul of this team. For Freeman, when he is out there, he's able to give you darn near about 20-plus points per contest. He's been able to do a nice job rolling out the ball. He's been the top rebounder 
for this team thus far this season. And it's not been seen in darn near a month. That is not great to say the least. And got nobody behind him, despite the fact that he's been out the last five games, that for the season is averaging more than nine points per game. Nobody is averaging more than 4.6 rebounds per game. Got a few guys like Marquise Browning, along with Mr. Pullian, as you've got Kentrell Pullian, both giving you about two and a half assists per game. But that's about it. You don't have anyone else that's north of six points per game that is also shooting north of 33% from three. Team is a collective shooting 30.5% from distance. It is a Chattanooga team as well outside the top 200 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but they can keep up with these guys, and they're going to have by far the best rebounder in this game. That would be Sam Alexis. He's been able to give you 11.5 points, 10.5 rebounds per game. They have been dealing with some guys being in and out of the full, but they were one of the beneficiaries of those two-time transfers that were being denied eligibility, getting eligible. Trey Bonham, who spent last year at Florida after he was playing for Dan Earl two seasons ago at VMI. He's good to go. He scored 29 points in the first two games of the campaign. He should be able to help this team out in terms of three-point shooting as a career about 37% three-point shooter. He was playing with Hunter Huff over at VMI a few seasons ago. The top scorer's been able to give you about three and a half assists, logging about 16 and a half points per game. So I do think that this Chattanooga offense, which has been relatively solid, but hasn't necessarily been supreme. I think that they're going to get a little bit more supreme. Got a UW-Milwaukee team that has really had to slow down their tempo with all the injuries this far this season. Last year, they were playing right around 75 and a half possessions per game. It's more like 69 and a half possessions per game this season, yet they're still not executing on defense while outside the top 225 Turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis, giving up the arc, not hitting the glass. Got Chattanooga team has pretty controlled themselves, 220th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, which is why I did set my total at a 146. I just don't think that UW-Green Bay does their part in terms of being able to put points upon the board. You've got Chattanooga team has given up 72 points or fewer in each of their last three games. You've got a UW-Milwaukee team that has really had a struggle to be able to score as they have now scored 71 points or fewer in every single game this far this month without B.J. Freeman. They have broken the 71-point plateau once. So, did set my total 146, also a earlier game. This is 1 o'clock p.m. Central. So, diving in on the under, I'm Chattanooga will only lay up to 3.5 with them. 843-844 on the betting board. Tulane plays those to George Mason, and George Mason is an underdog of 3.5 to 4.5 points. Your total is between 158 and 159. With this total, I did set it at 153.5. Got a Tulane team that led all of college basketball last year in terms of total possessions per game. And does not appear as though they're going to be bumping down the tempo this season. But you do have a George Mason team that certainly is. George Mason, a bottom 25 team in the country in terms of total possessions per game. So this is a good old situation of something's got to give. You've got one uber fast team. You've got one uber slow team. And typically, I do think that it's a little bit easier to slow a team down than it is to speed one up. Now, I don't think that George Mason is going to be able to go out there and have Tulane playing at like a Virginia style speed or anything like that. As George Mason, they do give it up from three-point range. They're about 246th in all of college basketball in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. So that is a little bit of an issue on Tulane when they are out there. They are allowing opponents to shoot north of 34.5% from three as well. So you do have a pair of teams that should be able to sink some threes, but I just don't think you get enough possessions in this game. I'm going to be willing to dive in on the under, and even though George Mason has been getting cooked from three-point range, overall it is a team that does rank in the top 110 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. George Mason has been able to do a relatively solid job by committee of rebounding as you've got two guys in Amari Kelly along Keyshawn Hall who've been able to combine for about 16.5 rebounds per game. Hall comes in from UNLV and some nice job packing in their 16.5 points per game. George Mason is able to stay relatively controlled because they shoot a ball from three at about 37.5% from three. They don't get too out of sorts with the ball, about 11.8 turnovers per game as Ronald Polite. He's not an amazing scorer, but does a nice job as just 
a facilitator in the backcourt with about 7.5 points, just under 3 assists per game. And for Tulane, this team has been looking to bump it up tempo with having so much versatility, but they do have a little bit of a lack of depth as well. They only play 6 different guys for north of 12 minutes per game, so this is a bunch that has a little bit of an issue there, and they have been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Trey Williams as well. So that does cause for a team that didn't have a lot of depth to start with to have even more issues. I think that that could slow them down a little bit. You've got Zion James and Kevin Cross who are very versatile for Kevin Cross. It's been amazing. 19 points, 8 boards. He's able to shoot 53% from 3-point range. So he has been tremendous on that front. Meanwhile, you've got Zion James who's able to give you multiple steals. He's shipping in there 14 points worth of 5 boards per contest as well. But I do think that with George Mason, having a little bit more depth with Tulane, now dealing with an injury or two, that is going to slow them down a little bit. Fully recognize that this is a Tulane team that has been able to put up points on everyone. This is a Tulane bunch that has been able to get to at least 76 points in every single game thus far this season, but you're staring at a George Mason team that has been able to do a really good job hunkering down with regards to their defense as well as a George Mason bunch that they have allowed 71 points or fewer in all but three of their games thus far this season. I do think that in a Temple War with Tulane dealing with a few injuries, George Mason is going to be able to slow it down, though I do think that George Mason is going to have a tough time dealing with the versatility of Cross along with James. So I did set my line at 5.5 here at 5 or less. I'm going to be willing to lay the number, but I do think that we get a little bit of a slower game. So I told 153.5 going under and going to be willing to lay with Tulane. 8.45, 8.46 on the betting board. It is Brown. And what can Brown do for you? Well, you need them to win by two touchdowns for them to make you money here. <laughs> anywhere between 13 and a half to 14 point favorites against Siena. Total on this game is anywhere between 131 and half and 132.5. And, and I actually agree with this. I set Brown as a 16 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. And for Siena, they now have their top scorer, Michael Ely, back in the fold, and they still suck. I mean, it's been really bad for the Siena team. A bottom 25 team in the country in terms of points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis. Ely has only been out there for five games, and I mean, he's really your top guy. He gives you about 12 points, six rebounds per game, but you can tell that he hasn't necessarily been himself last two games that he has been out there, and I mean, in the two games that he's been back for, fully back for, I don't count the game against Ryder where he only played two minutes, but I mean, they lost both of those games by north of 20 points, and the defense has been all sorts of terrible. Siena is not an up-tempo team, and yet they turn the ball over 16 times for contest. They're shooting as a collective 24.8% from three-point range. You've only got one guy on the roster that's currently shooting north of 33% from three, and that would be newly acquired Sean Duru-Gordon. He's another one of those two-time transfers that is now eligible. Began his career in Missouri, was over at Austin P. He did have 23 points in his first game against Cornell. That helps his team out a little bit, but... I mean, one guy is not going to be able to masquerade the stink of the Siena team. Meanwhile, you've got a Brown bunch. I do think that they're going to be able to do a better job on defense. Last year, Brown was one of the better mid-major defenses in all of college basketball this season in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They're clocking in right around 191st, but I think that the problem was identified with Brown. Brown was just playing too fast for their own good to begin the season. The defense has been picking it up a little bit recently ever since Brown decided we're going to go back to a little bit of a slower style. Brown is about 138th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but if you take a look at the last three games, they've been playing at a rate of about seven possessions fewer than they did to begin the season. You've got two really nice low post players in Kalu Enya along with Nana Awusu Anane. These two guys combined for about 14 rebounds per game. You've got Enya who's been able to chip in there about 10 points per contest. Awusu Anane more like 15 points per game. Then you've got Kino Lilly Jr. We each the last two years and shot north of 39.5% from three this year. Shooting just 
39% from three, but it's logging 18 points, two and a half assists per game for a Brown team that does need to take a little bit better care of the ball. About 13 and a half turnovers per game. The good news for them, they go up against a Siena team that have not been forcing a lot of turnovers. They only generate about five steals per game. And for Brown, the defense has been better recently. They have now given up 74 points or fewer in each of their last four games since the slowdown. Fewer than 70 points in three of them. The problem has been the offense. Where this Brown bunch, 67 points or fewer in each of their last four games. So that's been a little bit rough for them. I do think that we're going to be able to see a little bit of a bounce back for this Brown team team against a Sienna team that just flat out has been getting cooked with Sienna. You don't have anyone on the roster that gives you really north of six rebounds per game, so the Twin Towers down low for Brown should be able to win out against a Sienna team that is currently 329th of the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I did set my total at 134. I just don't know if Sienna's going to be able to do their part on defense to be able to keep this one under as I do think that Brown going to be able to put up a nice number on them. Going to be willing to lay it with this Brown team, and I do think that Sean Drew Gordon does give Sienna a little bit of offense, so Looking at the over and going to be one to lay with Brown. 847, 848 on the banking board. Robert Morris is going to be playing us to Cornell. And Cornell does find themselves as an eight-point favorite. Your total is anywhere between 161.5 and 162.5. I did set my total more on a 154.5. I'm diving in on the under. Robert Morris, I just don't know if they're going to be able to do their part with this total. They're a bunch of shooting sub-31% from three-point. And John Salik has been a great Robert Morris team as well in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Got old Bobby Morris clocking in 264th, but they are giving up 5.1 points fewer per one hour possessions at home rather than on the road. And this is a Cornell team that very much is based around three-point shooting. And for Cornell, this is really shocking. They've been giving up about 18.3 points fewer per one hour possessions when they've been on the road rather than when they have been at home. And I've noticed with Cornell over the last few years, they do play a little bit more slowly when they're on the road rather than when they're at home. This is a Cornell team that the last three years, they've been in the top 50 every single year in terms of total possessions per game. They're back there this year, and you've got a hole is greater than some of its parts approach. You've got five separate guys for Cornell, averaging between 9.8 and 11.9 points per game. They put up nearly 85 points per game, but nobody averaging more than 12, and that guy that is averaging the 11.9 is Cooper Norad. He's been able to shoot about 47.5% from three-point range for a core that does shoot about 34.5% from three. Sometimes Cornell gets a little bit too fast for their own good. They do turn the ball over near 15 times per game. Good news for them. They get to go up against a Robert Morris team that has not been doing the world's greatest job of being able to generate turnovers and for Robert Morris. They certainly have been having their doldrums in terms of offense. They've been able to get to 75 plus in now three other last four games, but they played against a non-D1 team. They also played against St. Francis of Pennsylvania in that time span as well. And we have noticed the defense taking up just a little bit for this team. It doesn't sound like a ton, but now for Robert Morris, they've been able to do a little bit of a better job, giving up 73 points or fewer in four out of their last five games. So we've seen a little bit of improvement there. It's a Robert Morris team that does have a bit from the outside as well with Marquis Hastings shooting about 41% from three, eight and a half boards, 15 and a half points per game. He has a chance to be the top rebounder in this game as Cornell, they do a solid job by committee of rebounding, but they don't have anyone other than Guy Raglan that's really giving you north of five and a half rebounds per game, so that's a little bit of an issue. They do need to have just a little bit better ball control in general as Josh Corbin. It's been your main facilitator without the 3.3 assists per game was a little bit more of an off-the-ball score. He sees it going. They're really needing the LSU transfer and Justice Williams to step up. He was relied upon as the floor general coming into the season, a former top 200 recruit that's giving you 2.4 assists of three turnovers per game. 
14 points per game, but on 26% three-point shooting. So I do think that the shooting from the outside is going to be a little bit cold in this one. I just don't know for Robert Morris team as well outside the top 225. In terms of points scored on a per possession basis is going to be able to do their part on this total, which is why I do like the under. I set my total at 154.5, and with this Cornell team, I did set them as a favorite of 8.5 points going up against a Robert Morris bunch that while they do have a little bit of rebounding out of Hastings past that, there's just not a lot of places where Robert Morris has much of an edge, and home court advantage might be a little bit nullified in this spot as well with so many kids on break. So, looking at the under and going to be willing to lay up to 8 with Cornell. E49, E50 is a DK Network write-up pick. UAB plays those to Drake the Drake is a three and a half to a four point favorite. Fiddles between 149 and a half and 150 and a half. My write up pick is going to be on UAB. This will probably come out earlier than when we do get money lines, but I personally do think that UAB pulls this one off outright on the money line with regards to write up just because it probably won't have a money line available. It'll just be the points of like three and a half to four with UAB, but I like it regardless. Money line, points, what have you. I do think that UAB going to be able to get it done against a Drake team that they are allowing opponents to shoot 36% from three-point range when they are on the road. And for UAB, I expect a lot of positivity for this team from three-point range. Overall, for the season, they're shooting below 30% from three-point range. Overall, it's 28.4%. That actually shrinks them more around 27.5% from distance when they're at home. And I do think that we're in for a bounce back for Eric Gaines. Eric Gaines, last year, shot 34.5% from three with 11.5 points, 4.3 assists per game. And, I mean, the scoring and the assists have remained constant. He's actually generating about 2.8 steals per game, 13 points, 4.5 assists. Has only shot about 22% from three-point range. And I do think that that is something that is going to be able to rebound. Not saying that he's going to be like some sort of a 40-plus percent three-point shooter, but I do think that you're doing for some positivity with this UAB team. That's also been really unlucky with opponents' three-point shooting. Opponents at home against UAB are shooting north of 37% from three. This for a team that under the tutelage of Andy Kennedy has never allowed opponents to shoot north of 32% from three against them when they are at home, so I do expect to bounce back there. I feel like they were starting to find a little bit more out of the North Alabama transfer, Daniel Ortiz as well. Some plus points at each other the last five games double figures in three of them after he was a little bit of an afterthought to begin the season. That gives this team a little bit of offense and for UAB, this team does a really good job of being able to get second chances. They rebound 34.4% of their misses as an offensive rebound and they go up against a Drake team that only has two guys that are pulling in north of 3.8 rebounds per game. So I do think that Yaxel, Lenborg, along with Javion Davis who have been able to combine for 14.8 rebounds per game win the day down low against a team that does have Darnell Brody along with Tucker DeVries who have done a nice job they're complaining about 14 and a half rebounds per game as well but it's not like a Drake it's a Drake team that goes in flamethrower mode from three point range as well they shoot about 33% from three to their credit they do the little things well only about nine and a half turnovers per game they shoot 78% at the free throw line and Aiton Wright has been Mr. Wright he's been able to give the team 14 and a half points on 35% three point shooting but it is a little bit of a top heavy Drake team as well you're wanting to see a little bit more out of Cooper Garland along with Connor Enright they've been able to give a little bit of facilitation with a combined five assists per game but UAB, even if we don't see that shooting progression that I was expecting to see, they still find ways to be able to manufacture buckets as this team is in the top 30 nationally in terms of free throws made on a per-possession basis as well. So I do think that UAB is going to be able to take control of this game and with UAB, they've got a really nice home court advantage. I recognize that there's going to be some kids on break, but that said, I do think that UAB 
goes at home. They get a big win that they need. My DK Network write-up pick is going to be on UAB. I personally am going to be taking a look at the money line when this comes out. Probably not going to have money lines available, so it'll probably be just like the three and after the four that we're seeing right now. So, looking there, and with UAB, they're playing at more of a mid-tempo pace right now. Drake has been a top 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and I do think that for UAB, their three-point shooting defense is going to improve in this one. So, I did sub my total 145, diving in on the under, and my write-up is going to be on UAB, whether that be with the points or on the money line. 851-852 on the betting board. It is Montana State and throw the facing off against Cal State Northridge. And CSUN finds themselves as a four to a four and a half point favorite. And your total on this game is between 143.5 and 144.5. I said CSUN as a six point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Montana State. They do have a very versatile player in Robert Ford III, who has been able to do a really nice job. He stands just six feet tall, and yet he is the team's top rebounder. But that is a little bit of an issue that you do face with this team. Now, it's not like CSUN necessarily has like giants of the earth on their team or anything like that, but Ford, who's been able to give you 13.5 points, 8 boards, right around 3 assists per contest, while shooting 42.5% from 3, he has to be Mr. Do-It-All for this Montana State team, and he just doesn't have a lot of help around him. You've been able to get about 15.5 points per game out of Brian Garaki. He's been able to do a nice job of being able to chip in there a little bit of help for a Montana State team. And they do shoot about 34% from 3. We've already seen this Montana State team go on the road and knock off Cal, and you do have a CSUN team that you do have to fear how they're going to be able to respond to prosperity. They go on the road, they knock off a down UCLA team, but they knock off UCLA, but I do feel like their big two is going to be able to dominate in this matchup. You've got Deshaun Allen Eikens along with Deontay Bostic, who have done a nice job combining for a little bit over 35 points per game. It's a CSUN team that's done a nice job of cranking up their tempo. Andy Newman, who comes in from Cal State Bernardino, he's done a really nice job of being able to get this team in the top 75 in terms of total possessions per game after they were a very slow team a season ago. Now, with Allen Eikens and Bostic, they do combine for about six turnovers per game as a team. They turned it over 15 and a half times per contest, but they generate those turnovers as well. 8.7 steals per game. You've also been able to get some good contributions out of Keontae Jones, who has also went up from the 91 level, much like his coach in Newman. And has been a solid contributor. 13.5 points, 6.5 boards as a six foot six, Very nice little bit of a combo player for Montana State. Outside of Ford, you do have to have a little bit of worry as to how this team is going to be able to perform on the glass as nobody other than Garaki is giving you north of 3.3 rebounds per game. You don't have necessarily a lot of facilitation outside of Ford as well, which is a little bit of a worry. Mark, you've been able to get a little bit more out of Eddie Turner the third, And Eddie Turner the third was dealing with injuries while he was over at Columbia. He's dealt with some injuries this year as well. It seems like he should be be good to go in this one as well. And when he's been out there on the floor, he's been able to give you four assists per game, but it's been very questionable when he has been out there. And in out of his last three games, two of them, he has had four plus turnovers as well. So that's been a little bit of an issue. You've got some chemistry issues when it comes to the backcourt of Montana State. And for Montana State, to their credit, offense over the last two games has been much better, but to the deficit of this team, they have given up at least 75 plus points in four out of their last five games. Meanwhile, for CSUN, they have been able to lock it down a little bit more on defense. They've now given up seven points or fewer in each out of their last six games, so that's something that you're able to take note of, and it is a CSUN team that it doesn't sound like much for them giving up those points, but at the same time, they are quite an up-tempo team. Meanwhile, you've got a Montana State team that's a little bit more slow. This is a total that opened up at 142.5. I set mine at a 144, so you're at a 143.5. Still willing to go over. I would rather have the 143.5 over rather than the 144.5 under with the way that CSUN does play with regards to her style, so we're going to have the over, and with CSUN, even though it could be a little bit of a letdown spot, I'm still willing 
to trust. I'm going to lay it with CSUN, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total over 853-854 on the betting board. Murray State plays us SMU. SMU is a 3.5 to a 4.5 point favorite. Your total is between 138 and 139.5. SMU is a 5.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. It's a very interesting Murray State team in that they play one of the slowest bases in all of college basketball. They're a bottom 50 team in terms of total possessions per game, and yet they are just getting cooked on defense. They're outside of the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. As a matter of fact, they're outside the top 250 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. It is an SMU team that outside of Chuck Harris, they need to find a little bit more three-point shooting as as a collective. They're shooting 42% from distance, but Harris has really been carrying the mail on that front. 42% three-point shooting on 13 and a half points per game, but they have found a little bit more out of Emery Lanier. Not a ton of scoring with five points per game, but sort of become a designated shooter off the bench, shooting about 46% from three, so that's a good sign for the team as it is a very top-heavy SMU team. You've got five separate guys that can log about north of seven and a half points per game. You've got a lot of other guys that they just sort of mix and match and grab a few rebounds, but BJ Edwards, even though he doesn't give you any scoring, he does a little things. Four and a half points, three and a half boards, one and a half seals, four assists per game, all while turning the ball over less than a time and a half per contest. They go up against the Murray State team that's done a nice job of taking care of the ball. Only about nine turnovers per game, but they're not a great three-point shooting team. They shoot about 32.5% from three. Rob Perry, Jacoby Wood, these two guys have been your main scorers. With Wood, he's your top facilitator, four and a half assists. 12.5 points per game on 38% three-point shooting. Meanwhile, Perry, 15 points per contest out of him, but you've only got one guy that's giving you north of five rebounds per game, and that'd be Nick Ellington, who's been able to give you seven boards, 1.7 blocks per contest, but it's a little bit of a top-heavy team. Good news for them, Alden Applewhite. He was one of those two-time transfers as he was over at Mississippi State and Portland. He's now eligible. That should be able to help this team out a little bit down low, and I do think that that's going to be able to improve their defense a scourge, but he's not really a difference maker. He's not a guy that is going to go out there and is going to be able to pop threes or anything like that. When he was over at Portland, he was just sort of a milk toast guy, in my opinion. Other than what you're able to get out of Wood and Perry, it's a backcourt that does have its question marks. I was hoping for a little bit more out of the transfer from Mercer. Sean Walker was only been able to give you about five and a half points per contest. Has been in and out of the full due to injury and when he has been out there. After he shot 40% from three last year, has only shot 25% from distance this year. And it's an SMU team that does rank in the top 75. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis. SMU has allowed 65 points or fewer in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, Murray State, they've been not holding up their end of the bargain on offense. 72 points or fewer in four out of their last five games. So this is a spot where I did set my 12 137 half. I do think that SMU bears on on defense. Murray State, they play very slowly, so you're not going to get a lot of possessions in this game, so I'm going to be going in on the under, and I'm going to lay with SMU. 855-856 on the main board. It is Elon. They are on the road facing up against South Carolina. South Carolina, a 16.5 to a 17.5 point favorite. Your total is between 148 and 149.5. I did set Elon as an underdog of 17 points. Here at a 16.5, it's the max I'm willing to lay, but I am going to be willing to lay it. If you do have a little bit of an issue with South Carolina, it is that they don't have a ton of size. B.J. Mack has really been the lone guy that has been able to give you north of 5.5 rebounds per game throughout the season. And for South Carolina, there's been a little bit of predictable regression in terms of their three-point shooting. But they're still a really good outside shooting team with Michi Johnson doing a nice job logging north of 18 points per game. You've been able to get really nice production in terms of facilitation standpoint from Talon Cooper, whose assist-to-turnover ratio is darn near 4. He's also shooting 44 percent for three, which I think should cool down a little bit, but I don't know. South Carolina only turns the ball over about nine and a half times per game. They've been very efficient on the offensive side of things, and though Michi Johnson and BJ Mack are the only guys giving you north of 10 points per game, we've got a lot of guys that 
make those ancillary contributions, like a Jacoby Wright, who's been able to give you six and a half points per game. And for Elon, they're shooting darn near 40% from three-point range, and yet they're still having a tough time blowing out wins. I was talking about there being a little bit of predictable regression when it comes to the South Carolina three-point shooting. Well, Elon is doing for it as well, and Elon is just getting absolutely destroyed on defense. 337th in all of college basketball. In terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they don't have anyone down low that gives you north of 5.5 rebounds per game. Now, Max McKinnon, TK Simpkins, they've done a nice job contributing about 24.5 points per game. You've got an Elon team that, out of their top six scores, five of them are shooting at least 40% from three-point range. Again, should fall down a little bit. I like the contributions of Rob Higgins when he was over at St. Francis of New York. He spent four years there. He never averaged more than 12 points per game there, and he never averaged less than 11 points. He's had about 10.5 points per game. So he's living right up to the contributions that you'd expect there. But this is an Elon team that I talk about them doing a great job with their three-point shooting and the way that their defense is getting cooked from three. They have done one thing well. They are in the top 100 in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. So I I do think that this is a sneaky game of which we are going to be seeing a little bit less scoring as I do think that both of these teams struggle from the outside, but I just flat out don't think that Elon is going to be able to do a ton down low. South Carolina, I do think is going to be able to bog this game down, utilize their size with Mack and company to be able to control things. Miles Soute has been very versatile as well, and I don't think that Elon is going to be able to hold up at the point of attack. So, did some my total at a 143 going in on the under, and with South Carolina one to lay up to 16 and a half with them. 857, 858 on the betting board. It is Marquette. They play us at Georgetown, and Georgetown is an underdog of 18 and a half points and your total on this game is between 149 and a half and 150 and a half. I did set Marquette as a 20 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. I like what I've seen more out of Marquette this year rather than a season ago. Now Marquette is allowing opponents to shoot about 34% from three-point range. That's not necessarily too terrific, but this is still a Georgetown team that is quite the work in progress on the road. They're allowing opponents to shoot 38% from three, and really all of Marquette's issues have come when they've been away from Milwaukee. They lose that game against Providence. Very understandable. Ruckus home crowd. I figured that they were going to have some issues in that game, and this is a Marquette team that has one of the most efficient players in all of college basketball by the name of Tyler Kolek, 15 and a half points, five and a half boards, five and a half assists, shooting north of 40% from three-point range. I just don't think there's anything Georgetown can do to be able to contain them. Now, they are going to need to get some contributions from more of the ancillary pieces as they should have. Jaden Epps good to go in this one. He was able to return in their last game against Butler. It didn't necessarily look like himself, though. He only had 12 points in that one. You've got Supreme Cook, who's been able to do a nice job down low with eight and a half boards, seven and a half points per game, but it's not like this is a Georgetown team that has a ton down low end. For Marquette, that's always the issue that you have with this team. Oso Ogadero is the only guy that really gives you north of five and a half boards per game, but at six foot eleven, has a lot of versatility. Gives you a seal, gives you two assists, gives you about six and a half boards to go along with eleven and a half points per game. For Marquette, this is a team that has a collective shooting in the neighborhood about thirty three percent from three point range. But Cam Jones has been able to supply about fifteen and a half points per game. I think that there should be some shooting positivity for a few of these guys, like a Chase Ross, who last year shot more like thirty three percent from three, down to about twenty nine and a half percent thus far. The season, David Joplin last year shot 39.9% from three. This year, eight points on 36% three-point shooting. I think that there should be a rebound against the Georgetown team that does rank outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. To the credit of Georgetown, they've been a little bit better with their defense recently, but they've also scored 72 points or fewer in each other last four games. And this is a Marquette bunch that they do a nice job of being able to control things as well. 
They were relying a little bit less on steals this year. They're doing a better job down low and with this Georgetown team, just not necessarily having a ton outside of Supreme Cook. Along with Esmeal Masood, who's been able to give you six half rebounds per game down low. Masood is able to shoot threes, but with Marquette slowing down their tempo this year, I do think that this is going to be a bit more of a control game. Set my total of 148. Going to be looking at the under. I do think that Marquette bounces back from that loss that they took earlier in the week. Set them as a 20-point favorite, so laying Marquette and going to be taking a look at the under. 859, 860 on the betting board. It is Southern Illinois, and they're going to be playing us to Southern Indiana. Southern Indiana, a 17 to a 17 and a half point underdog. Your total on this game between 134 and 134 and a half. Did semi total of 132.5. I'm looking at the under with Southern Indiana. Last year, they were a team that played very much up and down. They were one of the most explosive three point shooting teams in all of college basketball. They lose essentially each other top five scores from a season ago, and that has forced them to play a very different style. Now they're about 150th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and we all know the style that Southern Illinois is going to play with. Southern Illinois, very slow, very controlled. And yet with Southern Illinois, Xavier Johnson has been one of the top scorers in all of college basketball. This guy is stuffing it with nearly 25 points per contest. As a matter of fact, entering into the team's last game, he was the number one scorer in all of college basketball. And he's been able to get a little bit of help from his friends. When you do have a guy like Xavier Johnson who is controlling things with about five and a half assists to go along with those points, shooting 43% from three, you don't necessarily need guys to go into flamethrower or motor or anything like that. But now they've got Jared Hensley, a two-time transfer from Cincinnati along with UNC Greensboro in the fold. He has delivered 22 points in his first two games out there. Clarence Rupert, who is a part of that St. Peter's Elite Eight run, he's been able to give you about six and a half rebounds per game, and you've been able to get north of 50% three-point shooting out of Trent Brown. That should regress a little bit. Brown has been throughout his career more like a mid-33 point shooter, but for Southern Illinois, they're a really well-oiled machine for a team that does have that dominant score in Xavier Brown and that they've got so many guys that do a nice job of supporting them. Meanwhile, for Southern Indiana, we've seen a heartbeat from this team. They actually led at the half against Duke prior to Thanksgiving. Got a pair of guys in A.J. Smith, coupled with Jeremiah Hernandez, who have been able to throw in there about 24 points per contest. It's a Southern Indiana team that, no doubt, they don't shoot the same way that they did a season ago from distance, but they are shooting about 32% from three-point range. They've been able to do an okay job of rebounding by committee with Smith, leading the way with about nine and a half rebounds per game. They've dealt with some injuries in the backcourt with Javius Moore, who's been able to give you about five points, four and a half rebounds per game, being injured and has not been the same ever since the injuries that he has suffered. But you have been able to get a little bit more with about nine points, four boards out of Jack Melke as well. Six foot seven combo player that's shooting 46.5% from three-point range. And for Southern Illinois, it is tough for them to be able to win by margin with how slowly they play. And they are a team that, in terms of points, a lot on a per-possession basis. They are currently only about 142nd, so not like they've necessarily been supreme on that front. It is a Southern Indiana team that certainly, I think, is going to have their issues moving forward in terms of scoring, and I do think that Xavier Johnson going to be able to go into takeover mode against a Southern Indiana team that has been turning the ball over quite a bit this far this season, and for the Southern Illinois team, they still have been able to do a solid job with their defense, even though they might not be the most efficient in the world. They have now given up 70 points or fewer in all but one of their games this far this season. I do think that they hold down a Southern Indiana team as Failed to get past the 60-point plateau in each of their last three games against a Division One team. So, did somebody total 132.5 going under and with Southern Illinois. Something as an 18.5-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay the number. 861-862 on the betting board. It is Rice. We give our own to Lane Kiffin. Go Owls. They play also Louisiana. Louisiana is a 3 to a 4-point underdog. Your total between 145 and 145.5. Both of these teams have been rough with their defense. They're both outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And Rice is coming off of a very nice win against Prairie View a few days ago. But if I make them a 2.5-point favorite, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Louisiana. 
I feel like this is a different strokes for different folks sort of game because with Rice, you're going to have the most dominant low post player in this game. That would be Max Fiedler, one of the most versatile players in all of college basketball. Six foot eleven gives you nine and a half points, nine boards, five assists per game. He's actually the top facilitator of this team, and I do expect more positivity coming through for this Rice outside shooting collective. Travis Evey, Makai Mason, both of these guys shot in the high 30s from three-point range last season. They're combining shoot just below 30% from distance thus far this season. Evey has been able to give you 17 points per game. Mason more like 13 points per contest, but I do think that for Louisiana, having famous folks in the way that he's able to out the ball with 4.8 assists and 2.2 turnovers per game, it's going to take it to a Rice team that doesn't do a great job of being able to generate a lot of turnovers. Rice is much more prone to being hurt from the outside rather than the inside with having Fiedler down low, and then you got Kobe Julian, who's been a nice statue stuffer for a Louisiana team that is stroking it really well from 3. 38% three-point shooting out of them. Julian, 19 points, 4.5 boards, steal and a half per contest, even though you don't have anyone other than Joe Charles that really gives you north of 5 rebounds per game as he's been able to give you 11.5 points, 8.5 boards per contest. You do have a lot of guys that they do make some nice contributions down low for this team. It is a Louisiana team that has slowed down just a little bit. As a result, they've been able to keep things out in front of them a little bit more with only 12 turnovers per game. And to the credit of Rice, they do a relatively solid job of being able to hold it down as well not getting out of sorts in terms of the turnovers. It is a Lafayette team that has been having a tough time with regards to opponents' three-point shooting percentage. You're allowing opponents to shoot 36% from the outside when they're away from home. And Rice, they have bumped down their tempo a little bit as well. It's not caused them to be relatively efficient as well. And for Rice, they're 277th in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. So even though you get a lower possession game, both of these teams have been really good at executing on offense. Both of these teams have been really bad at executing on defense. And with the way that folks in this Louisiana backcourt take care of the ball, I do think that they hold in there. And I do think that we see a lot of offensive efficiency in this game. Did set my total at a 154.5. I'm going to be willing to take a look at the overhand with Rice. But I make them a two and a half point favorite. So taking the points and taking a look at this total over 863, 864 on the betting board. Yeah, let's a road face off against Kansas. Kansas is between a 14.5 to a 15.5 point favorite. Your total on this game is between 142 and 142 and a half. Seeing mostly 15 and a half out there, and personally, I would rather take 15 and a half rather than lay 15 and a half. Kansas is still going to have a tremendous environment. This is still one of the toughest places to play in all of college basketball. But again, with some kids on break, I do think that that is going to cause for a little bit of issue moving forward. And this is a Yale bunch that even though the defense has fallen off from a season ago last year, they were a top 30 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They are well outside the top 100 as far as the season. I do think that they're going to take advantage of a Kansas team that has been outside the top 40 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, and it's really been a top-heavy Kansas team. You've got Kevin McCullough, Hunter Dickinson, both giving you 19.2 points per contest. Dickinson is shooting 55% from three with 12.5 rebounds, a steal and a half, and a block and a half per contest. I am sorry, but Dickinson not going to shoot 55% from three for the entirety of the season, and McCullough does a nice job stuffing the stat sheet himself. Five assists, seven rebounds, steal and a half per contest. KJ Adams doing a solid job of 13 points per game as well, but what are you going to be able to get out of El Marco Jackson, who's giving you about six points per contest? Jackson Furphy just has not been too tremendous for this team. I don't understand why people were high on Parker Braun. He wasn't even that great at Santa Clara. Nicholas Timberlake has not brought Sexy back, and for Yale, you've got some nice depth with this team. Matt Noling is back after he was their main guy last year, but it's actually been Danny Wolf down low with about 13 and a half points, nine boards, block per contest, shooting 48% from three. Yale isn't quite the same team defensively that they were last year, but they're a far better offensive team. They're only turning the ball over 
about nine and a half times per game. But as Embank has done a really good job of being able to control things in the backcourt, about two steals, three and a half assists per contest, all while being able to give you about 13 and a half points per game. Jackson Poladivas, he's been able to shoot about 41% from three-point range, and then you get 41% three-point shooting out of Augustus Mahoney as well. We have seen Yale be able to keep up with good competition over the last few seasons. And for Yale, it does feel like the defense is coming back for them. After a start to the season where things were a little bit out of sorts when they were really prioritizing the offensive side of things, getting that all shirt up. It feels like they're a little bit more well-rounded now. So did set my line at 15, being able to get 15 and a half. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Yale. And I did set my total out of 143. It is a better Yale offense than we've seen in past years. And it is a little bit more of a vulnerable defense. I do expect Kansas to be able to pick it up just a scotch. So here at 142, 142 and a half, I'm going to be willing to go over as I set my total at 143. And I'm going to be willing to take anything north of 15 with Yale. 865-866 on the bang board. Notre Dame plays those of Maris. Maris is a 4 to a 5 point underdog. Your totals between 123.5 and 124.5. I did set my total at 127. I do think that this is going to be a lower scoring slog but I'm going to be willing to go over. You do have a pair of teams that are well outside the top 275 in terms of total possessions per game but I don't know if the defense is crisp enough to be able to get the under. Maris has actually been a halfway decent defense. As a matter of fact, more than halfway decent. 13th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Granted, this has come against a lesser competition. Meanwhile, Notre Dame, they have not necessarily been the world's greatest defense. Just because you play slow doesn't mean that you're great on defense. 123rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. But I do think that this is going to be a game that's going to be close enough for a little bit of late game falling. So I do think that that plays a little bit of a hand here against a Maris team that has been able to do a relatively solid job from the perimeter. Typically, Maris is a team that really struggles from three-point range. They're shooting as a collective about 35% from three-point range. Max Allen has been your top scorer with about 12 points per game. He doesn't give you much versatility. He's more of a low-post player that comes in from the West Coast, but Jackson Price has been able to shoot about 39% from three-point range as a six-foot, eight little bit of a combo player. He's done a nice job giving you a little bit of facilitation recently in games as well. Maris turns the ball over about 12 and a half times per game for their tempo. That's not necessarily the world's greatest, but I do think that Notre Dame is going to see a little bit of rise in their 26.1% three-point shooting. This is a team that struggles from three-point range. This is not going to be a team that lights it up by any stretch of imagination, but some positivity should be coming in here. As you do have Marcus Burton, who's only been able to shoot about 21% from three, but gives you 15 points, three and a half boards, three and a half assists, one and a half seals per contest. Been able to get a little bit of rebounding out of Kiba and Giant. That's a big thing for the Notre Dame team. They do have four separate guys that give you at least 4.3 rebounds per game. Tay Davis has been able to do a solid job logging about six rebounds per contest. And while Maris says he's just very gaudy defensive numbers, they have given up 64 points or fewer in each other the last five games. Other than Aona, it's been against a bunch of nobodies. Manhattan, Bucknell, Dartmouth, Maryland Eastern Shore, teams like that now. For Notre Dame, it certainly has been rough for them as they have been just not being able to put the ball in the basket in general. They have been able to break in regulation because their game against Georgetown went to overtime. So in regulation, 62 points or fewer in four of their last five games. But it has been against much better competition like Marquette, like Miami. They have played against these tougher teams. I do think that they're going to be able to get a little bit more moving forward out of this backcourt. I do think that with Maris being a team that really doesn't do a ton in terms of guarding the three-point arc. It is a Maris team that has always 
out inside when it comes to guarding threes. That's always been a little bit of a struggle with them thus far this season. They do rank in the top 50 with this regard, but you recall last year they allowed opponents to shoot more in that neighborhood about 34.2% from three-point range. I do think that we're going to see a little bit of a bounce back for this Notre Dame team. I did set Notre Dame as a favorite to where I'm going to be willing to lay it. I set them at five. So here at a four, I'm going to be willing to trust in just the overall better recruits of Notre Dame, the fact that they have played against better competition, and I'm going to be willing to lay it with Notre Dame. And with this total, I do think that we get enough for late game falling, and I do think that we see a bounce back in this Notre Dame shooting. So we're going to have the over to go along with Notre Dame. 867-868 on the bank board. It is San Francisco. They play us at Fresno State. Fresno State is an 11.5 point underdog. Your totals between 130 and 130 and a half. And with Fresno State, I did set them as a underdog of 10 and a half points. So here at 11 half, I'm going to be willing to take the points. And it's a Fresno State team as much improved in terms of their three point shooting from a season ago. Now, predictably, we have seen a little bit of a fall off in recent games for them, but. Having Isaiah Hill, Xavier Ducell, Donovan Yap all shoot at least 35% from three is big for the team as all three of these guys are pooling together to give you a combined about 34.5 points per game. Hill has been able to give you about six assists per contest. Now the big bugaboo for Fresno State. 14 and a half turnovers per game. That is very rough, and they do go up against the San Francisco team that has been very solid with their defense. They've been able to generate about nine steals per game for San Francisco. This has been a team that has been slowing it down this year. They've been prioritizing that side of the ball as San Francisco, 12th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but this is also a San Francisco team that they leave something to be desired down low. Jonathan Mogbo has been tremendous. 14 points, 10 rebounds, 3 assists, steal and a half per game. He is coming from Missouri, and he's been one of the most underrated transfers in all of college basketball. Nobody else on the roster gives you an earth of 3.5 rebounds per game, and for this Fresno State bunch, you've been able to get some relatively good production out of Eduardo Andre 3000. When he was out of the fold and they came against Cal State Bakersfield, they got cooked on the glass. Now they've got him back to the fold. He returned against Portland State. That is absolutely massive, as he along with Anyak Boyaki. These two guys have been able to give you a combined 14 and a half rebounds per game. Andre doesn't necessarily give you a ton on the offensive side of things, but these two guys also combined for a little bit over a block and a half per contest. That should be able to keep Fresno State somewhat lively in this game against a San Francisco team that they've got a lot of versatility. You've got Mongolian Mike giving you about three and a half assists per contest at six foot eight. He's able to pop some threes. It's not a San Francisco team that is necessarily going to go into flamethrower mode from three point range, but Robbie Beasley is shooting 46% from three. All in all, it's a team that shoots about 34 and a half percent from three. The 13 and a half turn over screen. A little bit costly for the San Francisco team, but they do go up against the Fresno State team that can be a little bit hit or miss in the way that they generate turnovers. To the credit of Fresno State, they've really risen up with their defense, allowing 65 points or fewer in regulation because their game against Portland State went to overtime. They gave up 65 points there, so 67 points or fewer in regulation in each of their last four games. It's the San Francisco team that Giving up 60 points or fewer in now four out of their last five games as well. It's been a little bit of a up and down San Francisco team in terms of their defense, but this is a Fresno State team that they do leave themselves a little bit vulnerable from the outside as well. For Fresno State, 276th in the country in terms of opponent's three point shooting percentage. So it does leave to a very interesting spot here. I did set my total at 130.5. You've got a Fresno State team that's playing a little bit more up tempo than they did a season ago, and I do think that they could play snug enough for some late game falling. I'm seeing a few 130s out there at a 130 or less. Going to be looking at the over. I'm Fresno State. Set them as a 10.5 point underdog. So here out of the 11 plus, taking the points from Fresno State and looking at the over at 130 or less. 869, 870 on the bank board. Tulsa plays those to New Mexico State. New Mexico State finds themselves as 6.5 to 7.5 point underdogs. And your total on this game is hanging between 145.5 and 146.5 with Tulsa. Can only set them as a 6.5 point favorite. Now getting 7 to 7.5. I'm going to be willing to take those points with New Mexico State. New Mexico State has been a new look team. Literally a new coach every single 
single player that was on the roster last year is gone. So they are looking to guys like Femi Odakale, who was a top scorer over at Pittsburgh a few seasons ago, to really be able to help this team rise up. And it is a Tulsa team that they themselves had to really start from square one after they were the worst cover team in all of college basketball last year. They were only able to get four covers. It was clearly not going well for Eric Conkle. So Conkle went out in the transfer portal, brought in some guys that he knew would be reliable from Louisiana Tech. As Keeson Willis along Kobe Williams have been two of the team's top three scorers. They were two guys they very much trusted in while he was over at Louisiana Tech, and they felt this team rise up for both of these guys. They're logging about 12.5 points per contest. Willis just became eligible for this team. Williams has been able to give you about 3.5 assists per game, and it is a Tulsa team that they've got really good metrics. If you look at who Tulsa's played, though, one of the poopiest schedules in all of college basketball. That's a big reason why Tulsa's 23rd in the country turns the points a lot on a per-possession basis. This is one of those times where the splits do lie. They're giving up about 17.5 points fewer per one or possessions at home rather than on the road, and it's very easy to explain why. On the road slash in a neutral court, they're playing against teams like Oklahoma State and company. Meanwhile, at home, they've been playing against Jackson State, Central Arkansas, South Carolina State. So, that's something that you do need to be very mindful of. And for this New Mexico State team. Not a team that's going to dominate on the glass. Don't have anyone that's giving you north of 5.7 rebounds per game, but they do a good job as a collective. Four of your top five scores chipping in there at least 4.1 rebounds per game, and they've got a very elite three-point shooter in Jalen Jackson Posey. Comes in from Steven F. Austin, shooting 50% from three, 94% the free line, made over 40% of his triples a season ago. And for New Mexico State, they haven't been able to shoot about 35.5% from three-point range. Problem with New Mexico State is this team Fellows at one of the highest rates in all of college basketball that has caused them to be well outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. But the one thing New Mexico State does is they guard the perimeter. In road slash neutral court games, opponents are only shooting 30.9% from three-point range. They do have good stretch ability. They should be getting a little bit more moving forward out of this backcourt. They've been dealing with injury to Brandon Suggs, but Suggs is back in the fold after he was able to be a 10-point-per-game scorer two seasons ago over at East Carolina. I think that there should be a little bit of upside there. Kalu Azugi has been able to give you a little bit more down low with about 5.5 rebounds per game. New Mexico State is turning the ball for 13.5 times per game. Tulsa, they're turning it over 15 times per game. And once again, Tulsa, I feel like, is very much propped up by playing against lesser competition. So this is a number that I set at a 6.5, at a 7 to a 7.5. Going to be taking the points with New Mexico State. And I did set my total at a 150.5. Tulsa, again, I feel like it's a paper tiger with their defense, with the teams that they played against. So we're going to the over and the points with New Mexico State. 871, 872 on the betting board. It is Southern Utah. They play us in Middle Tennessee. Middle Tennessee does find themselves as an underdog of three points. And your total is between 138 and 139. And with Middle Tennessee, I did set them as an underdog of three points. So here at a three and a half, and I'm seeing a few out there that was the opening number. I'd be willing to take the points with Middle Tennessee. It's been a really rough year for them. Ever since Cameron Weston went down with an injury after two games, they have not been able to find anything in the backcourt. They don't have a single guy on the roster that's giving you north of 1.7 assists per game. They've been turning the ball over 13 and a half times per contest. But this Middle Tennessee team is able to hold up at the point of attack on defense. They've been able to find a little bit of rebounding in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I'm not saying they're supreme, but they're in the top 150 with that regard. They're going up against this other Utah team that is very much new look. They've got Rob Jeter in the fold after last season. They were under the two of Todd Simon, who took that Bowling Green job, and for Southern Utah, it's been rough for them on defense. 298th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and when they're at home, it's actually been even worse. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis at home, they are in the bottom 20 in all of college basketball. So, a Middle Tennessee team that has not been able to get a lot going on offense. Ains Elias King giving you about 13 points per contest and shooting 37.5% from three. It says a collective. They shoot 28% from the outside. They should be able to get cooking a little bit more for Southern Utah. You do have some guys that 
that are able to bomb it from the outside. Is right now you've got six different guys that have been able to give you at least 10 points per game, and that doesn't even include Jamari Sibley, who he is one of those guys that was a two-time transfer that was being denied a waiver to start out with, and now he's back in the fold after he was over at UTEP the last few seasons, began his career at Georgetown, six foot eight combo player that should be able to give the team a little bit of upside, but even with all that just overall scoring, Southern Utah, as a collective, they only shoot about 39% from three-point range. The lone guy on the roster shooting north of 31% from three, that would be Dominic Ford. He's come in, he's been able to give the team 16 points per game, and the rebounding by committee isn't too bad, and I do think that Sibley is going to be able to help out with that regard, but you're requiring just a little bit too much out of the gentleman from Iran and Parasa Fala, who's been able to give you six boards, 13 half points per game. He's been solid down low, but he needs a little bit of help from his friends. Zion Young has been a hit or miss guy the last few seasons. Actually played for Rob Jeter while he was over at Western Illinois has been able to give the team 12 plus points and now four out of the last five games, which is solid, but he was a north of 40% three-point shooter many years ago over at Western Illinois, shooting only about 31% from distance this year. Southern Utah has been able to hold on to the ball with only about 11 half turnovers per game. They don't necessarily force a lot of turnovers, and it's a middle Tennessee team that, despite the fact that they've had so many games go to overtime, they still have really bad defensive metrics. If you look at regulation and regulation, only 66 points or fewer scored in each out of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Southern Utah team that's given up 73 plus points in every single game thus far this month. It's a good old situation if something's got to give. So here at a three and a half or more, going to be one to take the points with Middle Tennessee. And I do think that this game gets bogged down. So the Utah doesn't necessarily shoot it well from three. So my total at a 135, diving under and taking the points with Middle Tennessee. 873, 874 on the betting board. This is from the Enterprise Center in St. Louis. Illinois, Missouri, new battle. Missouri is a six and a half to a seven point underdog. So it's between 149 and 150 and a half. Talked about this a little bit with our good friend Greg Waddell. And I do think that Missouri should be able to hang in there. I do like Illinois outright. I set them as a six-point favorite, but now that we're getting up to six and a half slash seven, gotten a little bit too rich in my blood. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Missouri. It's a Missouri team that feels like they're starting to find themselves a little bit more defensively. They need to utilize Connor Van over a little bit more. It's a giant of the earth at seven foot five. Was the Summit League Defensive Player of the Year last year, and for some reason, has just been underutilized. They go up against an Illinois team that, even though they got cooked a little bit defensively in their last few games, this is still a bunch at ranks tenth in the country. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis. So, granted, for Illinois in a roadside shoot record environment, they're giving up twenty two point two points more per one hundred possessions rather than when they are at home. And it is an Illinois team that they do need to find an ancillary score to DJ Shannon. Shannon has been amazing. 20 and a half points logging about two and a half assists on 41.5% three-point shooting, but Marcus Somask is the only other player on the roster giving you north of 8.7 points per game. Now, what I will say about Illinois is that I can't remember the last time I've seen each out of their top six scores all give you at least 3.9 rebounds per game. Everyone except for Shannon on that list gives you at least 4.6 rebounds per game. You've got good versatility with Coleman Hawkins as well with a little bit of injury, but when he's out there at six foot ten, he gives you two and a half assists. Eight points, six rebounds. He just stuffs the statute in a very good way, but it is an Illinois team that they have a little bit of a tough time holding on to the ball, and they don't generate seals. That allows Missouri to operate very freely with someone like Ashawn East, who's been able to give you 17 points. He's really become the main floor general for this team. His 60% three-point shooting is going to be falling off a little bit. Team as a whole for Missouri, shooting about 36.5% from three-point in a neutral court environment. I do think that that gets bogged down a little bit. It's an Illinois team that has been about 122nd in the country in terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage. Missouri certainly has been giving up a few open looks from three as well. In a roadside shooting environment, opponents are shooting about 35.2% from three, but you do 
do have out there a lot of guys like Tomorrow Bats, along with Nick Honor, were able to do a solid job staying in front of their man. These two guys have been able to combine for north of 20 points per game, and Tamar Bates is shooting 52% from three-point range as well, so I do think that there's going to be a little bit of a fall-off there. It's a Missouri team that's not playing quite as quickly as they were a season ago. This is going to be a strange neutral court game, so I did set it out on 146. Illinois not playing at warp speed either. Going to be taking a look at the under, but with Missouri, I do think that they utilize Vanover a little bit more to be able to hold up on the glass. Won't take north of six with Missouri to go along with the under. 875-876 on the main board. Utah State plays OC East Tennessee State. East Tennessee State does find themselves as an underdog of 15 and a half points. Your total on this game is between 141 and 142. I say Utah State is a 17 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number with Utah State. This team has really jumped out and impressed me. Great on Sabor last year. Was a fine player while he was over at Montana State. He was giving you about nine points, five boards. He was a little bit in the shadow of Jabari Bello, but you know what? I just did not see the rise that we have seen out of him as he's been able to do an incredible job. He's averaging darn near a double-double thus far this season. Has been an absolute dominator down low, and he goes up against an East Tennessee team that, you know what? They do have Jaden Seymour. He's able to give you about seven rebounds per game. Has been offering up a little bit of versatility, but as all whole, East Tennessee State is only shooting about 31.5% from three-point range. From the floor, they're only shooting about 39.5% overall, and it's been an East Tennessee State team that has been getting cooked from three-point range. They're allowing opponents to shoot about 34.5% from three-point range. That ranks outside the two, top 250 in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, for Utah State, you've got a team that's just very well-rounded in general under Danny Sprinkle in that they've got a guy that does a great job of being able to run the show, and that would be Darius... Brown the second. Darius Brown the second. 7.6 assists to 1.4 turnovers per game. When you need him to shoot, he does so. He doesn't force the issue at all. He's only been able to give you about 10 points per game, but he shoots 38% from three-point range. It's a Utah State team as efficient both on offense and defense, despite the fact that they're not some sort of an amazing three-point shooting team. They shoot about 32% from distance, but they just have such a well-put-together team that just all operates as a unit that I think it's going to take it out of an ETSU team that they do have a pair of guys in Ebi Asamoah along Kamari Peterson who have been solid in the backcourt. Peterson is able to give you about three and a half assists per contest. Asamoah, your main scorer, shooting about 43% for three, 17 points per contest, but it's very a much a top-heavy team. It's a Utah State team that's really been able to do a nice job of getting points at plenty, 79-plus points in far of the last five games for ETSU. They've stepped up quite a bit on defense, 72 points for fierce surrender in each other last five games. A lot of it has come against 91 teams, though, and I think in this step-up spot, they're just not going to be able to match up with what you're able to get out of Osborne or down low. So this is a spot where I did set Utah State as a 17 half point favorite, one to lay the number, and I did set my total at a 143 and a half. Here at a 141 to 142, I do think that Utah State scores that well, looking at the over, and one to lay it with Utah State. 877-878 on the main board. UCLA plays us in Maryland. Maryland finds themselves as a 3 to a 4 point underdog with your total between 127 and a half and 128. Set my line where I'm going to lay it with UCLA. I set them as a 5 and a half point favorite. UCLA coming off of a ghastly loss against CSUN, but for UCLA and Maryland, I was referring to it with our good friend Greg Waddell. Both of these teams are just fine on defense. You've got a Maryland team that does rank in the top 40 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. You've got UCLA right around 36th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and for UCLA, when they're at home, they're giving up about 14.5 points fewer per one hour possessions rather than when they are on the road, and for UCLA, they do give up about 5.2 points more per one hour possessions on the road rather than when they are at home, so the splits do play a little bit of a role for me. 
It's just a Maryland team that's been unable to shoot from three-point range. They're actually a relatively good and operable team inside. You've got Julian Reese who's been able to give you 10 rebounds per game. You've been able to get quite a bit going for Dante Scott as well. Nine points, five boards, shooting 32.5% from three. But for Maryland, they're shooting 26.5% from three-point range. Now, to the credit of Maryland, while they don't hit any threes. They don't even allow you to get off threes. In terms of percentage of shots that opponents take from three, it's one of the lowest marks in all of college basketball. Maryland is allowing opponents to shoot in the neighborhood about 35% from three, but they don't get off a lot of three-pointers. Meanwhile, for this UCLA team, they have been able to do a nice job of being able to swarm, and they've been able to do a nice job of just holding it down from beyond the arc as well as they're allowing opponents to shoot right around about 32.8% from three-point range when they're at home, and that should be much lower now going up against Maryland. But for this UCLA team, who's really going to be that main guy other than Sebastian Mack? Mack has been in the back truck with about 15 points, four and a half boards, two steals per game, but you really don't have anyone other than Will McClendon shooting above 33% from three-point range. And Will McClendon has a good north of 45%, three-point shooting percentage. It's only giving you about five points per game. Lazar Stefanovic was a relatively solid shooter while he was over at Utah. So delivered about 10 points, six rebounds bonds per game. And Adam Bona, he's going to be the best little post player in this game. A block and a half per contest, but I do think that for UCLA what is going to be a little bit of an X-factor here is Dylan Andrews, who's been sort of in and out of the fold. He's been able to up his game a little bit more. A combined 35 points in the last two contests. He's been able to log 13 plus points in three out of the last four games, and if he could just cut down on the turnovers in that CSUN game, he did commit five. He's going up against a Maryland team that doesn't necessarily force a ton of them. I do think that it'll allow UCLA to be able to pull it out in a game that I think is going to be very grimy and gross. I set my total at 125.5. Both of these teams outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game. Both of these teams very much hang their head on defense, so I'm going to be willing to dive in on the under, and I'm going to be willing to lay it with UCLA. 879-880 on the betting board. It is Loyola Marymount. They are going to be playing us to uh, Colorado State. Colorado State does find themselves as a five and a half point road favorite. Turtles between 146 and 147 and a half with Colorado State. I did set them as a five point favorite. So I'm going to be willing to take the points in the spot with a loyal Marymount team that has done a nice job bringing in talent in the transfer portal. Dominic Harris a season ago was over at Gonzaga. He's done a tremendous job with about 15 points on 46.5% three-point shooting for a loyal Marymount team that is leaving a little bit of something to be desired on defense. You really don't have anyone on the roster that's able to give you north of six rebounds per game as Alex Merkfeld has, has been that top guy. And you do need Kelly Leo Pepe to step up for this team. For him, he was last year such a dominant player with a double-figure amount of points, all sorts of versatility at six foot six, so he's shooting about 26% from three-point range as far this season. But Justice Hill, he does a nice job running efficient offense. He's never had north of two turnovers per game in his time over at LSU, Murray State, and now over here at Loyola Marymount. You've got a squad that brings in a lot of shooting in the portal with Justin Wright coming over from NC Central where he was shooting north of 40% from three-point range a season ago. He's been able to come in and be able to deliver some nice contributions as well as they go up against a Colorado State team that has been all sorts of efficient in terms of their offense. They've got one of the best guards in all of college basketball in Isaiah Stevens. Isaiah Stevens it feels like he's been in college basketball for forever and ever, but I mean, he runs a Colorado State show that I mean, they're well outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game, but they just hit shots. Colorado State, number seven in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per possession basis, and to their credit, even though they do have a little bit of a split in terms of home and road points scored on a per possession basis, they still put up about 115 points per 100 possessions when they are on the road. So this team is still quite efficient on that front. You've been able to have some good versatility with Nikwe Clifford, along with the gentleman that comes in from Division II, Black Hills State, and Joel Scott combining for about 13 rebounds. They both give you about 12.5 to 13 points per game, and Clifford is shooting 50% from three. Colorado 
Colorado State only turns the ball over about 10 times for contest. It is a Colorado State team that they are going to give up their fair share of points as well. For Colorado State, they have given up 80 plus points in three of their last four games against Division One talent. Meanwhile, you've got a Loyola Marymount team that has been able to do a better job rising up with their defense as well. It's a Marymount team that was very much topsy-turvy to begin the season on that front. They have now given up 73 points or fewer in a six out of their last eight games. So it is a very interesting spot to be in for both of these teams. I do think that for Loyola Marymount, they're going to be able to hold in this game. They are a team that's a little bit more effective at home rather than on the road. And I do have my question marks with Colorado State having to play this true road game as well. So I did set my line at five. At a five and a half, I'm going to be willing to take the points. Both of these teams well outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game, but they're just so stinking efficient. I set my total at 147. So I'm looking at the over and I'm willing to take north of five with Loyola Marymount. 881, 882 on the betting board. These final four games on the normal Las Vegas betting board are all from Hawaii. It is going to be Nevada and TCU doing battle. No numbers currently up on this game, but I've got a handicap. I set Nevada as a one-and-a-half point favorite, so anything of Nevada being an underdog, I'd be looking at them outright on the money line as I think that they're probably going to be opening up as an underdog slash one to lay up to one with them. And I did make my total 145 and a half, 145 or less. Going to be taking a look at the over 146 or higher. I'm going to be diving in on the under when it comes to the CCU bunch. They've got some very impressive metrics. They were able to just completely blow the doors off of Old Dominion yesterday. But for TCU, they beat up on a bunch of really bad competition. Heck, they had a tough time a few weeks ago when they were playing up against Georgetown as well. And this is just a Nevada team that doesn't beat themselves. Fewer than 10 turnovers per contest. Got a top scorer, Jared Lucas, was able to give you about 17 points per game. While he doesn't do one thing flashy, it's a team that shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range. They hit their free throws. They don't miss assignments on defense. It's a top 40 team in the country. Turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. Going up against a TCU team that, yes, if you look at offensive, defensive metrics, are in the top 40 and darn near everything. But again, what sort of competition have they played? That's a big, giant question. You have been able to get quite a bit out of this backcourt. Jacoby Coles has been able to do a nice job along with Emmanuel Miller being able to combine for north of 30 points per contest. Got a GCU team that there's no question about it. They're going to be able to do a solid job defensively. Jamie Dixon teams, they always do. Mike PV is someone I do like. He's been able to give you about four assists per contest, but I mean, it's a TCU team that, once again, despite playing bad competition, they're only shooting about 32.5% from three at the very least. They were going into that game against Old Dominion where they were really able to blow it open, but I do think that things are going to be much more controlled in this one. I did set my line to where I'm willing to lay up to a point with Nevada, set them as a favorite and 145 or less looking at the over, 146 or higher to the under, 883, 884 on the betting board. Old Dominion and Temple do battle from the Diamond Egg Classic. No numbers up on this game either, but I set Temple. We give our order Lane Kiffin, go Owls as a six-point favorite and maybe my total 142. So 141 and a half or less looking at the over, 142 and a half or higher to the under. Old Dominion just got completely land-based yesterday. They gave up north of 100 points. That was just a big, giant outlier of a performance, and this is an Old Dominion team that year in and year out. They always look to play at one of the more slow and grimy styles in all of college basketball. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, it is an Old Dominion team that is outside the top 275 with that regard, but once again, they're right around about 260th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, even under the tutelage of Adam Fisher. This is still not a Temple team that is going to be looking to push tempo as well. Going into this game, they were right around 62nd in the country in terms of total possessions per game, but that number was very badly warped by that like triple overtime game that they played against LaSalle. If you look at regulation and regulation only, they're more of a mid-tempo team, and when it comes to Temple, 
They just have not necessarily been the world's greatest three-point shooting team, shooting just above 30% from distance. You have not been able to get a lot of production down low out of this bunch as you've been able to get right around about six to seven rebounds per game out of Steve Settle, but they're really looking to Heiser Miller to be able to dole out the ball, and he has been able to give you about four and a half to five assists per game, but he doesn't have a lot of shooting to work with as overall for Temple, their top three scorers with Miller, you're able to throw in there Jaleel White and Jordan Riley. All these guys are shooting below 30% from three-point range. Their top scorer has been really Micah Piccarelli from three-point range, shooting about 40.5% from three-point range. They go up against an Old Dominion team that has been rough for them to say the least, but I do think that they're going to be able to rise up a little bit more because you do have Dereco Williams who's able to give you about five rebounds down low. It is a Old Dominion team that they shoot a bit better from three. They shoot about 33 to 34.5% from three-point range. John C. Jenkins, Vashon Alec, these two guys have done a nice job combining for about 32 points per contest. R.J. Blakeney, the transfer from Dayton, has a little bit of versatility as well that I do think is going to keep Old Dominion in this game. And with Old Dominion having quite a bit of rebounding, I think that that's going to cause this to be a relatively close game involving two teams that they don't necessarily push tempo. So, did some my total to wear at 141.5 or less. I'm going to be looking at the over 142.5 higher to the under end. Want to lay up to six points with Temple in this spot as well. All right, these final two games I have to completely handicap for because the Diamond Classic was so late, we don't know the results as I record this podcast. So 885-886 is going to be the winner of Georgia Tech versus UMass going up against Hawaii. And either way, I'm probably going to be setting Hawaii as a little bit of a favorite just because Hawaii is going to be playing out there on the island. The total is a real intrigue. You've got a Georgia Tech team that's playing with a little bit of tempo right now, but they're not necessarily going at hyperspeed. And this could change a little bit based on the results that we do see. So I do want to throw out there that caveat because I'm doing this as I just have no idea what we saw in the Hawaii game. And perhaps Hawaii does lose to Portland. I'd be a little bit surprised if that does happen, but it's not a complete impossibility. But that said, if Hawaii is going up against UMass, who I sort of thought was going to be the winner in that game, I will be setting Hawaii in the neighborhood of being about a two, maybe a one and a half point favorite, depending upon what you see. And this would be a total in the neighborhood of about a 150 or less. I'd be taking a look at the over. Anything above about a 150, I will be looking at the under. If they do get UMass, like I'm thinking that they will, Matt Cross, along Josh Cohen, have been able to do an amazing job down low with combined 16 rebounds, about three steals per contest. And UMass is really doing a nice job of being able to take away the ball. It is a UMass team that is playing quite a bit more up-tempo than George Tech, but you take a look at UMass in terms of points allowed on a purpose basis. Frank Barnesi's boys playing some defense. Top 85 team in the country with this regard. And it's a Hawaii team that they always do a nice job of being able to guard the three-point arc. They will be going up against the UMass team. That's been a little bit intermiss from three-point range. You'll be able to have Daniel Hankins-Sanford come in and he's been able to shoot right in the neighborhood about 40% from three-point range. In the backcourt, Rasul Diggins has been your main guy for a UMass team that's only turned the ball over about 11 and a half times per game. And for Hawaii, one of the biggest bugaboos for this team has been their turnovers as there are a bunch that they will turn the ball over about 12 to 13 times for contact but they do so to be able to get wide open looking threes as for Hawaii, they're shooting about 37% from the outside. You've had Jordan McCoy, Noel Coleman, be able to combine for about 28 points per contest. And then they've got a guy, Mo Sec, who does a nice job giving you about a block per contest. And then Bernardo Da Silva, he's been able to do a nice job, be able to log about six rebounds per game. I give a little bit more in this spot for home court advantage, whether it is against UMass or Georgia Tech. And if they would be playing against Georgia Tech, this would probably be closer to about a three, maybe a three and a half-ish point line. And that would be a total more in the mid-140s, probably more like a 140. 
144, 145, something like that. Again, a little bit of spitballing, a little bit of handicapping forward, but that said, I'd be setting it a little bit more there because if it is George Deck, who I think is going to be playing against Portland, that would be 887, 888 on the betting board. I would be willing to set Georgia Tech as a rather sizable favorite going up against a Portland team that they play with a little bit of tempo, much like Georgia Tech. They're right in the neighborhood about 100 in terms of total possessions per game, but I mean, it is a Portland team that has been getting just absolutely cooked on defense in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Once again, not knowing what they did against Hawaii. This team is well outside the top 250 with their regard. Tyler Robertson, he's been able to do a nice job of being able to provide 15 points, five boards, five assists, but Chris Austin, who missed all of last year due to injury two seasons ago, he was a starter for the team. It's been a little bit more rough on that front from. He's only been able to give you about eight to eight and a half points per contest. As a result, I'd probably be setting George Tech as more around about an eight to an eight and a half point favorite, especially with Portland having some big time issues at being able to guard the three-point arc that's been a little bit of an issue all season long for this Georgia Tech team. But Portland, 321st in the country in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. Meanwhile, for Georgia Tech, is this defense amazing? No, they themselves are allowing opponents to shoot in the neighborhood about 37% from three-point range, which I do think would lead to a little bit of higher total. Against Hawaii, Georgia Tech, I'd be setting that total more around about a 144, 145. I'd be looking at probably closer to a 150, maybe even higher in this spot against Portland because both of these teams have been just getting wrecked in terms of allowing threes. And for Georgia Tech, they don't necessarily have a ton of size down low, but Tyshawn Claude should be able to win that battle down low against a Portland team that they really don't have a ton of size. It is a Georgia Tech team that, as well, they should be able to exploit the fact that this Portland team has been turning the ball for about 15 half times per contest. They've been able to do a nice little job of being able to pickpocket. Now, I will say for Portland, Tyler Harris has been able to come up big with about 12.5 points in half boards per contest. And it is a Portland team that they do shoot about 34% from three-point range. But that said, if you are getting what I'm thinking we're going to get it, UMass versus Hawaii. Would set Hawaii as a slight favor with a total of about 150 or so. And then in Georgia Tech versus Portland, that'd be a spot where Georgia Tech would be more around an eight-point favorite, total of about 150. But if you reverse it, Georgia Tech versus Hawaii, Hawaii's more around a three to a three-and-a-half-point favorite, the total in that neighborhood about 144, 144 and a half. And then if you get UMass versus Portland, UMass would probably be right around a 10-point favorite. And that'd be a total that would be probably touching right around about 154, 155 or so. So I had to project forward a little bit there, but hopefully that helps you out. Now let's hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306-633, 306-634. It is Drexel, and they are on the road. They're facing off against Bryant. Bryant finds themselves at three to four-point underdogs. Fills anywhere between 132 and a half at 134. And I did set my line at 129. I'm gonna be looking at the under. Drexel is in the bottom 50 nationally in terms of total possessions per game, and Drexel has done a really good job with their defense. They are 31st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I do think that Amari Williams is going to be able to do a tremendous job holding up down low against a Bryan team that really doesn't have a lot of rebounding. For Bryan, you've been able to have Earl Timberlake bring sexy back as he's had a nice job hauling in there about 8.5 rebounds, 12.5 points per game, but he only stands right around 6'6", six six, and Amari Williams at more around 6'10", 6'11", should win that battle down low. He's been able to deliver two blocks, 11 points, 8 rebounds per game. Now with Drexel, you know that you're not going to get like anything from the outside from this team. It is a Drexel team that overall from three-point range, they've only been able to shoot in that neighborhood about 20.5% from the outside, but Justin Moore has been able to give you more. He's logging about 11 points, three assists, CONF per contest. Lamar Odin Jr. has done a nice job being able to chip in there, a little bit of contribution as well. While you've got Mr. House be your main scorer, Luke House from three-point range has been able to give you about 38% from three-point range. Meanwhile, it's a Bryant team that overall, they only shoot about 34.5% from three-point range. Sharif Gross-Bullock has been able to give you 16 points per game, but we have really been seeing a little bit of a downward spiral 
from Brian. It felt like they got a really nice bump initially from Phil Martelli Jr. being out there in the fold. Now this defense has been on the fritz a little bit, and it's been very random. In the last five games for this Brian offense, they have scored 69, 67, 75, 53, and then in double overtime, 101 points. If you're looking just at regulation, that was more like 73 points, but I do think that it's a Brian team that's running out of steam a little bit on offense, and it's a Drexel team that has really been doing a nice job just swallowing teams up whole, giving up 66 points or fewer in far their last five games, and with this being an 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern time game. This is a very early one. I do think that it's going to cause for the offense to be bogged down. I did set my total at 129. I'm diving in on the under of Drexel. Something as a five-point favorite. I think that they win from within, laying it with Drexel and going to be looking at the under. 306, 535, 306, 636. It is Boston U. They play us to UMass Lowell. Lowell is a four to a five-point favorite. Total is between 137 half and 138.5. It's been a Lowell team that's been struggling with a duo Kareem Koulibaly being out of the fold. He was such a good defender for the team a season to go, a guy that was able to haul in there about 8 plus rebounds per game. He's been out the last 4 to 5 games, so that means that they've had to really rely upon Quinton Mincy to be able to do a nice job down low with about 6 rebounds per game. You still do have Max Brooks. He was a all AEC defender 2 seasons ago, and he's been able to deliver 2 blocks per contest, but it is a UMass little team that slipped well outside the top 100 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, but they do go up against the Boston U team that does not have a single guy that gives you north of 9 points per game. They don't have a single guy that gives you north of 5.7 rebounds per game. They're looking for answers in the backcourt as Miles Brewster has been able to give you about three assists per game, but that said, it's been a team that's really been a rudderless ship. It just feels like they have no rhyme or reason anything that they're doing. It's a Boston U team that, really, in terms of their defense, it hasn't necessarily been horrible as they've given up fewer than 65 points in three out of their last five games, but for this Boston U team, they have scored now 72 points or fewer in pretty much all but two of their games this far this season. Going up against a UMass Lowell team that does feel like they're getting their fastball back in terms of their defense. 70 points or fewer surrendered in three out of their last four games. That lone exception was against UMass, and they're going to have by far the best floor general out there on Yindi Akeem. 17.5 points, 3.5 boards, 5 assists, shooting about 38.5% from three-point range going up against a Boston U team that they're just looking for answers from the outside. You've had Ethan Awusa, who's been able to shoot about 38% from three-point range, and it does feel like Boston U is starting to find a little bit more, but for Boston U, it's still very much a work in progress. They've lost pretty much each other top five scores from a season ago. It's a UMass Lola that's playing a, a little bit more of a middle tempo thus far this season as well. Last year, they were really cranking up the tempo, so I did set my total at 135.5. Flat out, I don't think that Boston U does enough on offense, and this is actually a Boston U team giving up 11 points more for runner and possessions at home rather than on the road. I do think that UMass Lola getting back to that tremendous defense that we saw a season ago, so one to lay up to five with UMass Lowell, set them as a five and a half point favorite, and me and my total 135 and a half going under 306, 637, 306, You've got Miami of Ohio playing us to Vermont. Vermont is a six to a six and a half point road favorite. Totals between 139 and 140 and a half. Did set my number at a six. Now that we're getting six and a half, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Miami of Ohio. I can't say that I'm necessarily a stand for this coaching staff of Miami of Ohio, but I do like what Dorishi Hunter has been able to do in the backcourt. It's been a nice job giving you about 13 points per contest on 40% three point shooting and. Now they get back their big man, Anderson Morbeau. He's a load at 300 pounds last season. Did a nice job down low with 14.5 points, 5.5 boards. That game that he played against Wright State where he had 11 points in 14 minutes. His first action of the season. And that's something that very much has been lacking for Miami of Ohio. With him now back at the full, that should be able to help out a team that has only one guy that's been logging north of 4.6 rebounds per game. Going up against a Vermont team that they legitimately don't do a great job down low. They don't have anyone that's giving you north of 5.2 rebounds per game at 6'4 Shamir Bogues leads the team in rebounding. You do have Matt Verado, who's saying six foot eight, but he's not a guy that pounds the glass. He only gives you about 2.8 rebounds per game. Verado does shoot 
38% from three with 11.5 points per game. Bogues has been able to shoot in the neighborhood about 33% from distance, 11.5 points per game. And despite Bogues generating about 2.2 steals per game, Vermont is still a bottom 30 team in all of college basketball in terms of turnovers forced on a per possession basis. That should allow Miami of Ohio to operate very freely in this game as they've been turning the ball over about 13.5 times per game, but they do shoot 39% from three-point range. It is a Vermont team that they do a nice job of being able to do a lot of the little things very well. This is typically one of the more efficient offensive teams at all of college basketball, and they've done a nice job of not turning it over themselves, but it is also a Vermont team that is going to have their issues a little bit more down low. I do think that Anderson Monroe coming back is going to be able to keep Miami of Ohio lively in this game as Vermont actually a very good perimeter defensive team, top 50 in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. So as a result, I did something total at 134. I think both of these teams struggled at a few outside shots. I think that this is going to be a slow and controlled game. Vermont, once again, outside the top 300 in terms of total possessions per game. So going with the under and at north of six, going to be willing to take the points with Miami of Ohio. 3 of 6, 639. 3 of 6, 640. It is Morgan State, and they're going to be playing host to James Madison. James Madison does find themselves as 19 to 19 and a half point favorites. Your total is between 161 and 163, and I made my total 165. I'm going to be looking at the over. Got James Madison team in the top 20 nationally in terms of total possessions per game, and just because you play fast doesn't mean that you're necessarily the world's greatest offense. If you're putting up a lot of points, it can be junk points. These are not junk points with James Madison. 24th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. A team that when they want to, they can legitimately go about 10 or so deep. It has been so impressive to watch them be able to operate on offense with guys like Aino Friedel be able to give you double figures. You bring in TJ Bickerstaff for Boston College who's been able to help out down low, giving you about 7 plus rebounds per game. But it is a Morgan State team that they've got a little bit of firepower of their own. They've been dealing with a few injuries as currently they've got out of the fold the St. Francis of Pennsylvania transfer Miles Thompson. But you've got Winston Tabs, who I still remember when he was over at Boston College a few seasons ago. He was averaging 13 plus points per game in the ACC. He's been able to give the team 16.5 points on 34.5% three-point shooting. It is a Morgan State team that also does leave quite a bit to be desired on defense. Well, outside the top 200 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And for Morgan State, they are only generating about 91 points per one on possession. So they're in 24th in all of college basketball. But you still have a guy in Cameron Hobbs who's been able to shoot 38% for three, nine and a half points, 4.2 assists to a turnover and a half per contest. And this is a James Madison team that does rank outside the top 100 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. So they have given up now 71 points for fear in each other last five games. It's a James Madison team though that has gotten to at least 75 points in every single game thus far this season. Morgan State, they themselves, they have scored at least 76 points in each other last three games. I think that this is going to be an up and down rambunctious game. I do think that Morgan State is going to be able to get just enough out of Christian Oliver with about five and a half rebounds per game to hold up on the glass in a game where I think both teams are just going to knock down a bunch of shots. Set my line at 19, so out of 19 and a half, taking the points with Morgan State. Set my total at 165, so also looking over. 306, 641, 306, 642. South Florida plays us to Albany. Albany is a nine and a half to a ten and a half point underdog. Your total is between 151 and 151 and a half. And with Albany, I did set them as a nine and a half point underdog. So now that we're getting to double figures, I'm going to be wanting to take those points. Albany has been able to do a nice job of being able to generate more offense. They have really Really cranked up the tempo last few seasons under Dwayne Killings. This was a team that was well outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game. Now they're within the top 75 and for South Florida they got off to a really rough start to the season in terms of a three-point shooting and they're still at only about 30.9% from the outside. That is a number that I do think as the season goes along it's going to be going even further northward so it is a spot where I do think that you get quite a bit of scoring. I did set my total at a 151 half so we are going to be diving in on the over on 151 but with this Albany team. I do think that they're going to do a nice job against the South Florida bunch. They don't have a lot of rebounding. Kassan Pryor is the only guy that gives you north of six rebounds per game. Meanwhile, Jonathan Beagle has done a nice job. Nine and a half boards, 
12.5 points per game. You've got Sebastian Thomas, who comes in from Rhode Island. He's only been able to shoot about 27.5% from three, about four and a half assists, 16 points per contest. Amari Marshall, the Hofstra transfer, has been able to give you 15 points per game. Albany does turn the ball for about 13.5 times per game, but they do go up against a South Florida team that they've been a little bit all over the place in terms of their defense for South Florida. They have given up now 72 plus points in three out of their last five games. I will say for the South Florida bunch, they're really getting it going on offense, 77 plus points in each out of their last three games, but do like the way that Albany has been able to operate offensively as well, 73 plus in four out of their last five games. You've got enough firepower in this backcourt for Albany, in my opinion, to be able to hold in there along with the fact that they should be able to do a nice job down low. And for Albany, they're generating about eight and a half turnovers per game in terms of just live ball turnover steals. That's the same amount as South Florida. So I think that you get an up and down game. Somebody total at 151.5. Looking at the over end, anything of double digits going to be one thing to points with Albany. 3 of 6, 6, 43. 3 of 6, 6, 44. It is Bucknell. They hit the road. They're facing off against Merrimack. The old Mary Meadow Merrimack find themselves as a favorite of five points. And total on this game, going to be getting in anywhere in the neighborhood of 128 to 129 and a half. And this is a total that I set at a 128. So being able to get to 129 plus, I'm going to be willing to dive in on the under. It is a Bucknell team that has been very much struggling in terms of their offense. They bring in John Griffin, who is a legend at the school. And he's been able to instill a little bit more defensive toughness with Bucknell. It's been a little bit of a work in progress, but they have been able to sure things up a little bit more when they've been on the road. But and said, this is still a Bucknell team as well outside the top 250 in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. And I did have to make Merrimack an eight-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it, even though with Merrimack hasn't been quite number one in all of college basketball in terms of turnover sports on a per possession basis like they have been last few seasons. I feel like their numbers are a little bit warped because in two other last three games, they played against a non-D1 team, which most sites do not qualify towards your metrics. And they had to play against Cincinnati and Florida. <laughs> Bucknell has not had to play quite as challenging of a schedule, though they did knock off Penn State on the road. But Jordan DeCock, I think, is one of the more underrated mid-major players in all of college basketball. He's done a nice job supplying 17 points, six boards, generating a little bit over two seals per game. Merrimack, they're a lower-tempo team that does turn the ball over 15 times per game, but they still generate those 10 seals per game. And you've been able to get 2.8 seals per contest out of Adam Clark, who's been tremendous in the backcourt for a Merrimack team as needed it. They're only shooting about 27% from three-point range. Bucknell should have a little bit of a leg up from the outside with Jack Forrest, shooting 42% from three, chipping in their 16.5 points per game. You've also been able to get 41% three-point shooting out of Josh Bosco, who's been able to chip in their nine points per game, but Elvin Edmonds has been in and out of the fold. He's been dealing with injuries, just returned in that game against Radford, and should be able to provide a little bit of pop in the backcourt for Bucknell, but you don't have anyone that's able to give you north of five and a half rebounds per game. You do have a seven-footer, and Noah Williamson has been able to supply north of five rebounds per game, but other than he and Jack Forrest, nobody else gives you north of 2.6 rebounds per game. Typically, Merrimack just gets absolutely destroyed on the glass. I don't think that's going to be the case in this one. It is a Bucknell team that has had some massive struggles in terms of being able to generate offense of their own as they've been able to break the 72-point plateau in pretty much two games as far as the season against Division I competition. So I do think that Merrimack going to do a nice job holding up and just making this a slower, grimier game and forcing a bunch of turnovers against a new luck Bucknell team. So I did set my line at eight. I'm going to be willing to lay with Merrimack and did set my total 128. So here at the 129, diving in on the under to go along with Merrimack. 3 of 6, 6, 45, 3 of 6, 6, 46. It is Texas and they are back to playing us to Texas a and Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi, a 22 and a half to a 23 point favorite, and your total is anywhere between 149 and a half and 150. And with Texas, set them as a 26 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. This is a Texas team that certainly has had their ups and downs as far as the season, but. 
Corpus Christi is a new look team from the season ago. As for Corpus Christi last year, they did a nice job of being able to generate turnovers. They had quite a few guys like Trey Tennyson and company. They were able to shoot it well from three-point range, and all those guys are gone. Their coach and Will Lutz is gone, and they don't have a single guy that generates north of 11 points per game. And when it comes to this bunch, they're only shooting about 29% per three. They're still generating about nine and a half steals per game, but they do turn the ball over about 13 times per game. They go up against a Texas team that has a backcourt that should be able to completely overwhelm them. If you'll Horton, it's more of your designated three-point shooter, making 38% of his threes, 9.5 points per contest, while Max Aceves is that do-it-all guy, north of 18 points per contest, forces shooting 41% from three-point range, and Caden Shedrick, though he's been a little bit banged up, he's sort of had to play with a one-arm throughout some of the season, 1.7 blocks, 12.5 points, has been tremendous for a Texas team that they do turn the ball over about 12 times per contest, but they do generate about 8 steals per game as well, it's been a Texas team that's been a little bit all over the place with regards to their defense, you want to see that tick up a little bit more as in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis as a longer team that is right around 46th, but for Texas, this is very much a product of the teams that they're playing against, but they're giving up 34 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road for Corpus Christi. They're about 183rd in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Honestly, for Corpus Christi, that's not too bad, but this is a Corpus Christi team that's just not operating on offense. They're 8th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. I don't think that they're going to be able to crack this Texas defense, especially with Dylan Mitchell giving you 9-plus rebounds per game, so it is a spot where I do think that Texas overwhelms this Corpus Christi team. I do think that we're going to see a little bit of a rise in terms of the way that Texas is allowing points when they are at home, but I do think that they're going to be able to turn defense into offense. Did some I told 152.5. I'm going to be willing to take a look at the over, and with Texas willing to lay up to 26 with them. 306, 647, 306, 648. It is Georgia, and they play us in North Florida. North Florida, a 16 to a 16.5 point underdog. Totals between 149.5 and 150, and with North Florida, I did set them as an underdog of 15.5 points here at 16 plus. I'm going to be one to take those points. It is a Georgia team that certainly has had their issues in terms of the glass over the last few seasons, but now they've got the seven-footer Russell Chewa in from South Florida. He's been able to do a nice job being able to log about six rebounds per game, and this is a Georgia team that has been able to step up a little bit more in terms of their tempo. They're in the top 100 in terms of total possessions per game. Got two top flight scorers and Jabri Abdul-Rahim Lando Thompson combined for about 26 points per game. They combined only turn the ball over about 1.6 times per game as well. You don't necessarily have the world's greatest facilitation as Justin Hill with his three assists per game that's right now leading the way but this team has been able to do a nice job of being able to have some nice backcourt play but I do think that for North Florida they are going to be able to hold in this game because they have been able to get quite a bit from the outside as well. They're shooting about 35.5% from three. Each other top four scores do shoot at least 37.5% from three. Dorian James, nine points, six boards with that three-point shooting. Chaz Lanier has been your top scorer with about 16 points per game and North Florida has settled down a little bit more in terms of their tempo. They're more of a mid-tempo team now. They have been giving up plenty of points in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. North Florida getting cooked at number 300, but it's not like this Georgia team has been amazing on defense. It's better than what it was a season ago. There's no question about it, but they're right around about 69th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Not a team that overwhelms down low, which is big because for North Florida, other than James, you don't have a single guy that gives you North a four and a half rebounds per game, but James Vanderheijen, he's six foot nine, he's able to pop threes, and you've got overall good depth with North Florida. I do think that that's going to keep them relatively lively in this game. It's a North Florida team that has been able to get to at least 75 points in four of their last five games. You've got a Georgia team that has been able to do a nice job on defense, giving up fewer than 70 points 
in four of their last five. So situation of something's got to give. I did sell my total at a 149 and a half. So here at a 150, diving in on the under. And we'll take 16 plus one throw Florida. Three of six, six, 49, three of six, six, 50. It is Towson. They play us the Nichols. Nichols finds themselves at six half to seven half point underdogs. And your total on this game between 131 and 132 and a half. And with Nichols, I did set them as an underdog of seven half points. So here at the sixes, six half, I'm going to be willing to lay it with Towson. It's been a Towson team that's been all over the place in terms of their offense. It has not been tremendous, but they've been able to get a little bit more recently with being able to have Charles Thompson stir things up down low. He's been able to give you about seven plus rebounds per game. It is a work in progress in the backcourt, but the frontcourt has been able to hold up at the point of attack, and they go up against a Nichols team that you do have to wonder how they're going to respond to prosperity. They were able to hold in there in the game against Maryland, scared the living daylights out of the turf, says you've got a guy that's really able to do a nice job of giving you a little bit of everything in six foot six, Jamal West Jr., 16 and a half points, sign boards, three assists, two blocks per contest while shooting 43% from three-point range, eight plus rebounds in each of the team's last five games. Now, he does turn the ball over quite a bit, four plus turnovers in three of the team's last five games, and Nichols has a hold. They honestly don't turn the ball over too much. 12 and a half turnovers per game. This is typically a team that generates a lot of turnovers, and they're a team that they still do an okay job there, but it's fallen off a little bit with only about seven and a half seals per game. They've been dealing with an injury to Deontay Smith, but he was able to turn in that Maryland game. He had 18 points, 12 boards. That's a little bit of a difference maker for this team, but for Towson, you're finding a lot more from the outside for this team. They've really been able to look to a guy in Tomboya Suleiman. Hopefully I said that correctly. Gentleman from London who's currently shooting 50% from three-point range has really been able to light it up with a grand total of 34 points over the team's last four games. So he's come out of nowhere. He's been able to give some nice production. You've also been able to have Mr. Tyler Tejada be able to generate about 12 points per game as a six foot eight freshman. He's improved with his three-point shooting with pretty much every passing game. And I do think that with Towson being able to really slow things down. They're in the bottom 20 in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game, and yet they've gotten at least 80 points in each of their last three games. Really like the strides that I've seen with this Towson offense, and I think it's going to be enough for them to be able to take it to a nickel team that I feel like they might be having a little bit of a letdown after they were close but no cigar against Maryland a few nights ago. I did sell my total at a 133.5. I think that this game is going to be enough, close enough for late game falling, so looking at the over, and I want to lay up to seven points with Towson. 3 of 6, 6, 51. 3 of 6, 6, 52. It is Florida. They play us a Grambling, and Grambling is sitting between a 25.5 to a 26-point underdog. Your total is between 146.5 and 147.5. Grambling has had about as big of a fall-off on defense as I've ever seen from any team in college basketball. They were a top 15 team in all of college basketball in terms of points a lot on per possession basis. Grand, that was propped up a little bit by playing against so many swag teams, and they've only played non-conference games thus far this season, but right now, they are in the bottom 10 nationally in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. They're shooting less than 30% from three-point range, and Florida's had a tough time covering games. They're covering less than 35% of their games thus far this season, but I do think that they're going to be able to win this game convincingly. I did set Florida as a 27-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it. Florida's had a little bit of a tough time just finding their identity in terms of the backcourt, which is why they do have 14 turnovers per game, but I feel like Zion Pullen is doing a much better job of running the show. Five assists and 1.3 turnovers per game. When Walter Clayton has had the ball in his hands, he's been a really nice scorer, but he does turn it over much more. Three turnovers per game. I think they're going to have him play off the ball a little bit more as he's been shooting about 35.5% from three-point range, and Florida's certainly going to be able to win this battle down low. You've been able to have a trio of guys, Micah 
Hanglon, Tyree Samuel, Alex Condon, who have done a tremendous job being able to add in there about a combined 21.5 rebounds per game. Will Richard has been able to do a nice job with about 10.5 points per contest as well, so you've got plenty of depth with regards to this Florida team, and it is a Florida team that still is within the top 75 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Their numbers, in terms of raw numbers, are going to look warped from that double overtime that game that they played against Michigan, and certainly that was a high-scoring game, but when you go to double overtime, that's a little bit of something to really cause things to look a little bit funky. Meanwhile, you've got a Grambling team that has scored now 67 points or fewer in each of their last five games, and this is a Grambling team that just has not been able to get out of their own way all season long against Division One competition. They have yet to get past 68 points thus far this season. They've been able to have Contavious Joser be able to chip in there about 15 points per game, but other than Jonathan Aku, you really don't have anyone else that's been able to give you north of five rebounds per game. Saints Antoine Burnett, he's been able to be one of those guys that has gotten eligible a little bit more lately. He's been able to give you about 11 rebounds in his first two games of action, but I want to see a little bit more before buying in there. Grambling also turning the ball over 14 times per game while being a lower tempo team. So, I did sell my 12 at 153 with the way that Grambling has just been getting absolutely destroyed on defense. Looking at the over in Florida, one to lay up to 26 half with them. 306-553, It is Clemson, and they play as Queens NC. Queens NC is a 22 to a 22.5 point underdog. Your total is between 155 and 155 and a half, and with Queens, I did set them as an underdog of 20 points. So now that we're north of three touchdowns, I'm going to be willing to take those points. It's a bunch in Clemson that has been so efficient. I absolutely love what I'm seeing out of P.J. Hall, one of the best players in all of college basketball for my money. 20.5 points per contest at six foot ten, shooting 37% for three, two and a half blocks, a steal, seven rebounds. He does it all, but this is a Queens NC team that they don't necessarily have the world's greatest depth, but those guys at the top, I really do like them as A.J. McKee, Deontay Aubrey, along with B.J. McLean, who have done a really nice job as a trio, being able to chip in there a combined about 17 or so rebounds per game. Aubrey and McKee have combined for north of 33 points per contest. McLaurin, he plays off the ball a little bit more. Shoots about 37% from three-point range. Aubrey is your main facilitator with about 4.7 assists per game. Fear that you have with the team is that Aubrey does turn the ball over a little bit more than three times per game, but this is not a Clemson team that's going to go out there and pickpocket. As a matter of fact, they're one of the worst teams at generating steals in all of college basketball, and while you do have Joe Girardi shooting well north of 40% from three-point range, he's not a guy that necessarily plays the world's greatest defense. It is a Clemson bunch at it's about 124th in the country. He turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. And I will say this, in talking with our good friend Nick Lawrence, and I picked this up on Queens, they've been a little bit of a different team when they've been on the road rather than when they have been at home. And this is a Queens team that's never going to be lauded for their defense. We're in 84th in the country. He turns points a lot on a per-possession basis, but they're actually giving up a full point less for one arm possessions when they are on the road rather than when they have been at home. So that's been a nice booster for this team. You've also been able to get about 10.5 points per game by Chris Ashby. You need a little bit more from him in terms of like rebounding and everything like that, but he's been able to shoot about 42% from three-point range. Clemson does leave themselves a little bit wide open from three-point range, so I do think that Queen's going to be able to hold in there, and I do think that you're going to see some nice offensive execution, but this is not a Clemson team that's really looking to run it and gun it, and with Clemson, they're shooting darn near 40% from three. I think that we're going to see a little bit of three-point shooting regression come in there as well for as good as Chase Hunter is, even though he's been able to give you 13-plus points per contest, so did set my line at 20. Going to be willing to take the points with Queen's, and maybe my total 150, so also diving in on the other. 306-655, 306-656. It is Baylor, and they play also Mississippi Valley State. Mississippi Valley State between a 37.5 and a 38.5 point underdog. Totals between 140 and 141.5. Set my total at 137. I'm diving in on the under, and... Flat out for Mississippi Valley State. The team has not gotten past 62 points in regulation at all this year. It's really, really bad. Raquan Brown, he's been able to do a nice job. He's chipping in there a double-figure amount of points. He's trying. 
He has absolutely nobody around him on the saddest just sack of team in all of college basketball. And I said sack of team. I could have said something much, much worse. But my goodness, this is not great. This is not great to say the least. For Mississippi Valley State, you've got two guys on the roster that is giving you an earth of 2.7 rebounds per game. They shoot 26% from three-point range. Now, a little bit of credit where credit zoo. Oreco Gibson, in the last game against Tulsa, he was able to give the team 19 points, and he has outscored double figures in four of the last five games. Shooting 56% from three-point range, certainly should see a little bit of off there. But Mississippi Valley State has... Four guys that score north of 2.2 points per game and three guys with north of 3.3. That's a real issue. Eh? You've got a Baylor bunch at. They're one of the most efficient offenses in all of college basketball. Shooting 42.5% from three-point range. Should that see a little bit of regression? Yes. Probably not going to see it against Mississippi Valley State. Who, I mean, in terms of points, a lot on a per-possession basis. They're a bottom 10 team in all of college basketball. They're getting cooked from three-point range. They're getting cooked inside. They have no rebounding whatsoever. So Eves Massey, who's been able to give you about six rebounds per game, should have his way. Ray J. Dennis has been turning the ball over four times for contests. You're going up against the Mississippi Valley State team. That doesn't generate any turnovers. Jacoby Walter has been able to shoot 39% from three. I'm sure against this team, and it's going to be more like 75%. I think Baylor wins this game, wins this game handily. I think that Baylor is going to show a little bit of mercy late, which is why I couldn't set my number much more than a 39, but you're at 37 half 38. Going to be one to lay the number semi total 137. So laying it with Baylor and looking at the under. Three of six. 657, 3 of 6658. It is Winthrop and Manthrop against Florida State. The Seminoles do find themselves as a favorite of 8.5 to 9 points. Your total is anywhere between 149.5 and 150.5. And when Florida State did something as a 10.5 point favorite, between 8.5 and, and 9, I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Florida State has been playing quite up tempo. They're a top 25 team in terms of total possessions per game. And this is a Winthrop team that is a little bit more slow and controlled. They are outside the top 250 in terms of total possessions per game. And they have seen a little bit of a fall off in terms of their rebounding as last season, Kelton Tulford was able to give you about eight boards per contest. He's only giving you about four rebounds per game. I'm not sure what's happened there, but Alex Zimmerman has been your top rebounder with about 5.4 rebounds per game, but other than Telford, you don't have anyone else on the roster that gives you north of 3.8 rebounds per game. And that's going to be an issue against a Florida State team that now has someone like a Jalen Ganey, the Ivy League player of the year on defense two seasons ago, healthy. They do have someone like a Baba Miller who's able to give you about five boards and a block per contest down low. It is a Florida State team that's certainly leaving something to be desired. They were very hot to begin the season with regards to their perimeter defense. You knew that there was going to be a regression, and there has been a regression. And as a result, Florida State 130th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. But this is a win throw team that is a work in progress on their defense as well. 220th in the country. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis as Jameer Watkins, Darren Green Jr. Maybe they will combine for about 26 half points per contest. You get about two and a half steals between the two of them as well. And Green is able to shoot 40% from three-point range. And now you've got Primo Spears in the fold as well. Good score over at Duquesne and Georgetown in his first two games. A shot 40% from three-point range. They combined 22 points. That adds a little bit of explosiveness. So a Florida State team that was already solid with their offense. A little bit of a work in progress in terms of their defense. I will say for Florida State, they had a little bit of tough time scoring in recent games against the likes of SMU, but I do think that against Winthrop, they're going to be able to pick it up a little bit more. It is a Winthrop team that they themselves have gotten past 80 in three of their last five games, and this figures to be a very much up-tempo game involving a Winthrop team that has given up at least 72 points in four of their last five games. So this is a spot where I did set my total more on a 154.5. I'm going to be looking at the over, and with Florida State, I did set them as a 10.5 point favorite, so good to be one to lay the number. 306, 659, It is VCU, they play us in Maryland Eastern Shore. This Shore finds themselves as a 22 to a 23 point underdog, and your total is between 133 and a half and 135. And I did set VCU as a 20 and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points for Maryland Eastern Shore. They're not generating the same amount of turnovers that they did a season ago, but 
I do think that they hold in there because they're able to get a little bit more rebounding. Uh, Troy Hupstead was able to give you 12 points and half rebounds per game. And they go up against a VCU team that still, they're looking for Sean Bearsout to return to the fold as he is still out. And that has been crucial for this team. Though they now have Joe Bejmiel back. And for Joe Bejmiel, he spent some time in the Atlantic 10 two seasons ago while he was over at George Washington and was incredible for them. While he was over at George Washington, 16 points, five boards, shot in the mid-30s from three-point range, could never find his footing at Oklahoma, was one of those two-time transfers that was not allowed to play to begin the season. Now he's back out there on the floor, but it is a VCU team that leaves a lot to be desired down low. You do have three separate guys that have been able to give you north of five rebounds per game, but... I don't have anyone other than really Toby Lull, who's been able to give you north of five and a half rebounds per game, so that's a bit of an issue. Got a Maryland Eastern Shore team that has been having some rough times in terms of being able to stay in front of their man outside the top 300 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis with their seals going downward, but still have a little bit in the backboard with Chase Davis being able to supply 35% three-point shooting, 11 points per contest. It has been a up-and-down Maryland Eastern Shore team that is looking for some of those ancillary pieces, like an Elijah Wilson, who comes in from Toledo to be able to give the team a little bit of a spark as he came in after being glued to the bench in the uh, MAC a few seasons ago. But on all, it is a Eastern Shore team that is now shooting about 75% from the free throw line, 32.5% from three-point range. Feel like you're getting a little bit of a better effort there. And for VCU, this is still one of the more slow and controlled teams in all of college basketball. And despite that, they have given up 74-plus points in three out of their last five games. It's a Maryland Eastern Shore team that has had a brutal time in terms of their offense. And the last time they scored north of 62 points in a game is when they had that overtime win against Penn, and other than that, they have not scored north of 65 points against the D1 team all season long. So it's a situation of something you got to give. I did sub my total at a 132.5. I think that this is going to be a little bit of a low possession slog. So looking at the under end, we'll to take north of 20 here with Maryland Eastern Shore. 306661, 306.62. It is high point. They hope to not be a low point. They play those Canisius. Canisius does find themselves as a 6.5 to an 8 point underdog. Your total is between 151.5 and 152, and I did sub my line at 8. So here to 7.5 or less, I'm going to be willing to lay with high point. High point has done a really nice job of being able to up their offense. This is a top 30 team in the country. In terms of points scored on a per possession basis, they bring back Abdullah Thiam, who was one of their top scorers from a season ago, but on top of that, they brought in someone like a Kamani Doherty. He comes in from Mississippi State. He's done a nice job of being able to help this team out down low. He's been able to supply about eight rebounds per game, something that was very much lacking for the team a season ago, and that's going to be tough against a Kadisha's team that they do have Frank Mitchell, who's been able to do a nice job with about nine and a half rebounds per game. Nobody else on Kadisha's other than Mitchell, though, is really able to give you north of 4.7 rebounds per game. They have a deal with an injury to Taj Savaski really for the entirety of the season, yet they really haven't missed a beach. They've got Yuri Fritz, who's done a nice job at six foot ten of being able to be versatile, two assists, six and a half points per game, doesn't pop threes like his brother Yaku is now over at Hofstra. But it is a Kanisha team that may be able to shoot 39% from three-point range. I do think that that's going to be going downward a little bit. And for high point, they've shot a little bit out of their lines as well. They're shooting about 37% from three-point range. So I do think that we're going to see a little bit of regression here. That said, these are a pair of teams that they've done a nice job of being able to get some second chances. I do think that this is going to also be a game that's going to be close enough for late game falling. So this is a spot where I did semi my total at a 154 with this Canisius team. Big fear that I have is that while they shoot it really well from three-point range on the road, they're allowing opponents to shoot 38.7% from three-point range. So while I do think that High Point perhaps sees a few of these guys go downward a little bit with them being able to have someone like a Bodu Bodu down low who's been able to give you about six and a half rebounds per game, they should be able to control that part of it. And Duke Miles has been so good with the ball. This is a High Point team that plays up-tempo, but they only turn the ball over about 11 
half times per game. Miles has been able to give you 18 and a half points. Chips in there, four assists, 1.3 steals per game. And I do think that high point is going to overwhelm in a game that should see a lot of clean possessions. And you got a Kenesha team that has now given up 77 plus points in three of their last five games, 73 plus in four of their last five. And it is a high point team that they themselves have been very high powered with their offense, 74 plus in four of their last five. So I did set my total 154, looking at the over and with high point, want to lay up to seven and a half with them, 3663, 3664. It's a pound adventure. They play us a Binghamton. Binghamton is an underdog of 15 to 15 and a half points in Toronto's game and between 142 and 143. So by line of 12, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Binghamton. Binghamton has been a little bit of a top-heavy team this year, but I like the transfer pieces that they brought in, and they've been able to make an immediate impact. Timu Chenery has really been your top scorer, hovering right around about 12 to 13 points per contest, and though you're not going to be able to get like amazing scoring or anything like that out of Samir Torrance, he just does it all. 10 points, 6 boards, 6 half assists. This guy's a threat for a triple-double on any given night, and he's shooting about 38% from 3 point range. Has really been the engine that has made the team go. Going up against the St. Pond Adventure team, that's one of the most veteran-laden teams in all of college basketball. It's a Bonnie's team that they play super slow, so it's hard for them to be able to win these games by margin. They've been able to do a pretty rock-solid job on defense, 79th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Going up against a big empty team that they don't necessarily have ideal size, but I wanted to see a little bit more out of Jan Farrell. Now he's going by some other different name that I can't pronounce, but it is a big empty team that, regardless, they've been about 193rd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis with Jan Farrell. He's been able to give you about six rebounds per contest. It's been all about the backcourt with this team, though, as Micah Adams-Woods has been the main constant. Shooting 51% from three, which should see some regression, 15 points per contest. When Charles Pride has been out there, he's been able to deliver about 12 points per game. He was dealing with a little bit of an injury towards the uh, back half of November into December. Just got back out there against Florida Atlantic and didn't look like himself with only about six points. So that's something that does have you a little bit worried. It's a Binghamton team that has been able to do an okay job holding up with their defense recently, giving up fewer than 70 points in three of their last five games. And for the Bonnies, their defense has been stout. 65 points or fewer surrendered in each of their last five games. But you do have to fear after they scored just 54 points against Florida Atlantic that perhaps they're starting to get figured out a little bit more. It is a spot where I set my 12 138. I do think that both of these defenses step up, and I do think that the versatility that you've got out of Samir Torrance is going to be able to keep Binghamton in this game. So looking at the points with Binghamton and looking at the under. 306665, 306666. It is Cincinnati. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati. They play as a Setson. Setson is an 18.5 to a 19-point underdog. Total on game is between 148.5 and 149.5, and, and I did set Cincinnati as a 23-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay this number. Setson It's one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball. Outside the top 300 in terms of total possessions per game, they are in the bottom 50, and Terrence points a lot on a per-possession basis as well, and it is a sets of team that while they do a nice job of bombing it from three-point range, Jalen Blackman has been able to register 22.5 points, shooting 47.5% from three-point range. I think that they're going to run into a brick wall that is known as the Cincinnati defense. This defense has been one of the best in all of college basketball in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They're clocking in 24th, and when they're at home, they are giving up 32.1 points fewer per 100 possessions rather than when they are on the road slash in a neutral court environment, and Setson just says that have the size to match up with the likes of Aziz Mandango, Victor Lakeen, who are both able to give you six plus rebounds per game. Aben Gasterse has been able to give you about seven and a half rebounds per game. And for Setson, they are shooting about 37% from three. And they also do a nice job of being able to get to the free throw line and hit those free throws about 81.5%. That's charity stripe, a big reason why it's Fon Swenson being able to give you five plus assists per contest. But we've seen them have quite a few turnover woes this season. It's not a Cincinnati team that necessarily does an amazing job of being able to generate turnovers, but they just force everything to the inside. 
side. They push you out off the three-point arc with having so much size on the perimeter with someone like Simeus Lucatius. Spade will give you three plus assists per contest at six foot eight. He's done a tremendous job being able to force things to the inside to those bigs. Have done an amazing job of being able to pound the glass. And I do think that with the Setson team, I mean, just absolutely nothing to match up down low. They're just going to be in a position where they're in a bad matchup and they get destroyed. I did set Cincinnati as a 23-point favorite. I'm going to be one to lay the number and did something I told 147. I think that this is going to be a low possession game where Setson really struggles to find any sort of offense against a Cincinnati team that is giving up fewer than 55 points in two other last three games. So diving in on the under and going to be one to lay with Cincinnati. 3 of 667, 3 of 6668. It is Austin P. Day playoffs to Ohio. Ohio does find themselves as a three-point road favorite and your total on this game between 136.5 and 137.5. I did set Ohio as a four-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay this number. It's a very interesting blend between these two teams because you've got a awesome P team that ranks in the bottom 50 in terms of total possessions per game. Meanwhile, you've got an Ohio team that's been looking to push tempo. They're in the top 100 in terms of total possessions per game. And it's an awesome P team that's been building themselves a little bit more towards defense, but it's not like they've necessarily been amazing on that front. They're about 176th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And for Ohio, last two seasons... The defense has not particularly been there for this team. 161st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they are allowing 15 more points for 100 possessions on the road rather than at home. But I do think that Ohio dominates this game with Jalen Hunter being able to go into takeover mode. 15 half points, 5 assists. Not shooting it well from 3, but you do have a pair of guys in A.J. Clayton coupled with what you're able to get out of Quinn Corna who are both shooting at least 50% from three-point range with Corna. He's been out of the fold throughout much of the season, but has been able to merge a little bit more recently in their most recent game against Defiance. Got 16 minutes, and he had 12 points. So that was rather impressive. We'll see if he's able to continue that moving forward, and that would be big if he's able to, because you've got Sharif Mitchell, who comes in as a former top 200 recruit from Crane Elmore James. These two guys have been very nice in the backcourt, giving you combined about 26 points per contest, going up against an awesome PT team has been relatively solid in terms of their perimeter defense, but DeMarcus Sharp last year led all of college basketball in terms of qualifying players from three-point range shooting north of 54% from three. He hasn't made a single three thus far this season. He's had to be Mr. Do-It-All. 18 points, seven half boards, five assists per game. And if you're looking for a way to be able to knock off this Ohio team, it's down low because they don't necessarily have a lot of size now. To the credit of this team, Jordan Wilmore, seven foot three big man. He's finally eligible to play and he's out there on the floor for Austin P. But you do have to wonder what he's going to be able to give you moving forward because even when he was at Northwestern State last season, he didn't necessarily do a ton, and for Austin P, other than Sharp, among the guys that have been actually out there in the fold thus far this season, nobody else gives you north of five rebounds per game. Ansel Emanuel has been able to give you a little bit more thus far this season, and he's been able to give you a little bit more than a block per contest, but I do think that with Ohio, they just have too much firepower in the backcourt. They do a nice job of being able to protect the ball, and we have seen this Ohio team do a nice job of being a constant on offense, 72 plus points in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, it is an Austin P team that they leave a lot to be desired on the offensive side of things as well, with having Sharp not necessarily shoot a lot from three-point range as you've been able to get some relatively good scoring with in the neighborhood of about 12.5 points per game. Uh, Jamonta Black, he's been able to shoot 41.5% from three, but the team also shoots about 65% at the free throw line. So I did set Ohio as a four-point favorite. Going to be one to lay the number in. I do think that this game gets cranked up tempo just a little bit more. Semi-tall at 142, so looking over, and I'm going to be one to lay with Ohio. 3-6-6-69, Chicago State is on the road playing uh, against Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a 23 to a 24-point favorite. Your total is anywhere between 131.5 and 133. And with Wisconsin, I did set them as a favorite of 22.5 points. 
points. So now that we've reached 23 to 24, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Chicago State. Chicago State was unable to cover their last game against Bethune-Cookman, but the team rides a four-game win streak going into this game. I don't think that they're going to be able to continue on with that, but this is once again a Wisconsin team that has won the slowest and grotiest in all of college basketball. They've had a little bit of a tough time getting A.J. Store online from three-point range as well. Last year over at St. John's, shot north of 40% from three, just 27.5% from distance this year. He should rise up No, Stephen Crawl and his 64% three-point shooting and the 54.3% three-point shooting out of John Blackwell should be going down just a little bit. And for Wisconsin, they'll be able to control this game down low. Stephen Crawl, Tyler Wall combined in the neighborhood about 13.5 rebounds per game. But for Chicago State, I love Wesley Carden and is one of the more underrated players. They're going to find him in major college basketball. Five boards, 19 points, shooting 36% from three. And then Jay Sean Corbett, he's going to lose the battle down low, but he still gives you seven rebounds per game. And I think the big X factor here for Chicago State has been the LIU transfer and Noble Crawford. Noble Crawford has done a really nice job down low, four plus boards in each of the last five games. A combined 11 steals in the last two contests as well. So he's really been able to hold his own all while shooting 42% from three as a six foot five versatile player. You've also been able to get right in the neighborhood about seven points per game out of Deshaun Charles Jr. Save all about a little bit in terms of facilitation, not necessarily a great three point shooter. And for Chicago State, they do turn the ball over 15 times per game. They go up against a Wisconsin team that doesn't necessarily force a lot of turnovers. They just play you straight up, man to man. They're they're doing a nice job making games very, very slow. And to the credit of Wisconsin, they have been able to get to at least 70 points in each other last five games. But Chicago State, a top 30 team in the country, in terms of turnovers forced out on a per possession basis, they've given up 68 points or fewer in four out of their last five games. I do think that this is going to be a game that is going to be cranked very, very low tempo. I did set my total 126 half, diving in on the under of Chicago State. Won't take 23 or more with them. 306671, 306672. It's Texas AM playing us to Houston Christian. Houston Christian, an underdog of between 32.5 and 34.5 points. So, on this game between 152 and 154. Did set my total 151. Looking at the over, I do think that with Texas AM, they're just going to do such a good job on defense against the Houston Christian team as one of the most up tempo in all of college basketball that they're just going to suck the life out of them. For Texas A&M, turns points a lot on a per-possession basis. This team has been one of the best in terms of being able to guard things at home. Now, for Texas A&M, a season ago, they were giving up about 7 points fewer per runner possessions than they have been this year, but this has been a Texas A&M team that has really been through the rigors all season long, and now they get to go up against the Houston Christian team that is shooting less than 30% from 3-point range. Houston Christian has been very lackadaisical in terms of taking care of the ball. 17 turnovers per game. They do have a guy that I like in Mark Marcus Green, who's been able to give you 14 points, shooting 42% from three, and you want a defense that's getting cooked. How about Houston Christian? A bunch as well outside the top 300 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but I've been noticing in recent games, it does feel like there's been perhaps a little bit of a tempo shift for Houston Christian. I think that they're realizing that giving up 90 on the regular is just getting a little bit embarrassing. It doesn't sound like much, but they've given up 77 points or fewer in four of their last five games. It is a Texas A&M team that has been a bit all over the place in terms of their offense as well. It's been a team that scored 73 or fewer and now four out of their last six games. They dealt with a little bit of injury with having Henry Coleman, Therese Radford, deal with a few ailments, but Coleman has been able to return, and he's been the top rebounder with 9-plus rebounds per game. We've also got Tyrese Radford back in the fold, and you know what you're going to be able to get out of Wade Taylor, one of the best guards in all of college basketball, 18.5 points, 5 assists, hasn't shot a well from 3, and Texas A&M is a bunch, that's only shooting 29% from the outside, very efficient, 9.7 turnovers per game, not particularly an up-tempo team of what we've seen recently out of Houston Christian. I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a controlled game, but that said, for Houston Christian, 
attrition against Division One competition. They have now scored 56 points or fewer in each other last three games as well. So I do think that a Texas A&M team that doesn't have the defensive metrics that you'd quite think that they would have at this point in the year, they're going to be able to really hunker down there. I did set my total at a 151, diving in on the under end with Texas A&M. Made them a 35-point favorite. So one to lay the number and going to be looking at the under. 3 of 6, 673, 3 of 6, 674. It is Auburn and they play as Alabama State. Alabama State does find themselves as an underdog of 29 and a half to 30 and a half points. And total on this game is between 147 and 149. And with Auburn, I did set them as a 29 and a half point favorite. 30 plus, I'm going to be one take the points with Alabama State. Alabama State has been a nightmare both on offense and defense. They're outside of the top 300 in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per possession basis. But I do think that for Alabama State, we're going to be able to see a little bit of a rise up here with Alabama State. You've been able to get some good contributions out of the father-son duo because you've got their father and Tony Madlock and the, the son TJ Madlock who do a nice job of just really playing in tandem. TJ Madlock has been a little bit of a do-it-all player for Alabama State this far this season with 16 points north of five boards, stole out three assists per game, and CJ Hines has given them some nice support in the backcourt. Four assists to about a turnover per game while shooting 40% from three-point range. It's been a nice find for this team and for Auburn, they're shooting it much better from three-point range than they did a season ago, shooting about 33% from the outside. They're only turning the ball over about 10 times for contest and to the credit of Auburn, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, this team is still in the top 35 nationally, but you have been noticing that you haven't necessarily gotten quite as much down low as you did a season ago out of GNI. Broom, Broom has still got some relatively solid numbers, 8 boards, 15 points per game, but last year he was blocking a lot more than the 1.6 blocks per contest that he does have thus far this season. Alabama State does have quite a bit of an issue down low. They don't necessarily have a lot of size. Oban Okan has been your top rebounder with about 6 half rebounds per game, but I do think that for Auburn, they're going to show a little bit of mercy to an Alabama State team that, to their credit, they've been better on defense recently. 74 points or fewer surrendered in 4 out of their last 5 games. That includes a game against LSU and a tough time against USC, but a lot of teams are, and for Auburn, this has been a harebrained team that has been really playing up-tempo. The bunch has given up at least 75 points in 2 out of their last 3 games, but they have reached the 87-point plateau in each out of their last 3, so going to be interesting to see what wins out. It's a Alabama State team that is a little bit more of an up-tempo team. They've been a little bit inefficient, but I do think that this turns into a little bit of open gym in a blowout. So now seeing this total right around about a 147, 148, and set mine at a 149 and a half looking at the over, but getting north of 30, going to be willing to take those points with Alabama State. And wrap things up with 3 of 675, 3 of 676. BYU plays us Bellarmine, and Bellarmine is a 26 to a 26 half point underdog. Totals between 141 half and 142 with Bellarmine. I did set them as an underdog of 28 points. I'm going to be willing to lay it with BYU. This team is in the top 25 nationally in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per possession basis. We all talk about the three-point shooting and just the tremendous offense of BYU, but they're allowing 78.4 points per 100 possessions when they are at home, and they face off against a Bellarmine team that they play at one of the slowest paces in all of college basketball. Now, Bellarmine, to their credit, they always do a nice job of being able to take care of the ball. They don't really beat themselves, but you need a little bit more than just having Bash, Wyland, along Ben Johnson combined for about 23 or so points per contest. It's a Bellarmine team that they should have well at the free throw line, 80.5% of the charity stripe, always well coached, but they just can't match up down low in this game either. They only have one guy that gives you north of 5.2 rebounds per game. That would be Langdon Hatton for BYU. They've been doing with a little bit of an injury to Fusani Treyer, but you still have been able to get a lot of good rebounding by committee as out of your top six scores, five of them have been able to give you at least 4.1 rebounds per game. Jackson Robinson is the bone exception, and for Robinson, he's a designated three-point shooter, shooting 43.5% from distance, 16.5 points per game. It's a BYU team that has a collective. Only turns the ball over 10 times for contest. BYU, they play fast, but they don't play out of control with those just 
29 turnovers per game. They do a nice job of taking care of the ball, all while being right around about 95th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. You've also been able to get right around four assists, nine and a half points per game out of Dalen Hall as well. And this is a BYU team that they're just stockpiled with weapons. If you include Fusani Treyer in the fold, you pretty much have seven different guys that give you at least nine and a half points per game. And then you've got someone like an Atiki Ali Atiki who's able to do a nice job down the giving you some rebounds. Heck, Ali Khalifa, their transfer that comes in from Charlotte, hasn't even given you a whole lot of flight. And he's a guy that had 6'11", is able to pop threes. Just way too many weapons for this BYU team going against a Bellarmine team that, once again, smart team. They're just completely outgunned athletically. I set BYU as a 28-point favorite, willing to lay the number. I think that they're going to add a lot of shots on a Bellarmine team as well outside the top 230 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. So, going to be looking at the over and going to be willing to lay with BYU. And that wraps things up for the Friday edition of Cups Coast Heaps now part of the Visa Family Podcast. Big thanks to Greg Waddell of Sleepers Media for joining me in live segment. If you do like sharing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Heaps, you're able to subscribe wherever you your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what I have before this podcast, you have one of two ways to be out for those in. First one is my Twitter slash X timeline at GNN underscore 41. Keep in mind, Leonard's EM, they mean does not matter, so it's per usual. Please do send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated, and from there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Big thanks to Greg Waddell once again for joining me in last segment, coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.